in five, four, three, two. It's a new day. Yes, it is. Who wants to have some fun? I'm all about having fun. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Oh, boy, is this great. Hey, guys. Oh, big gulps, huh? All right. I'm going to have fun, and you're going to have fun. We're all gonna have so much fun, we'll need plastic surgery to remove our smiles. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Please have a party! Feed us drinks! Get us laid! Wait a minute, there's no birthday party for me here. Hey bro, you mind putting on some pants? I find it a little weird I have to dance twice. Do you wanna know what makes Danny Magic's nipples hard? Are those sad tissues or happy tissues? like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamine. Are you sure this is legal? I don't know. It's fun though, isn't it? What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? No sports, no rock, no information. For mindless chatter, we're your station. Cowboy. The Mike Rutherford Show. Yeah, Mo, that team sure did suck last night. They just plain sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. Well, I'm packing up my game and I'ma head out west Where real women call me quit with scripts And find a nest in the hills Chill like All right. All right. All right. All right. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, April 3rd. This is the Mike Rutherford Show coming to you, as always, from the University of Louisville College of Business Studios. Visit business.louisville.edu. See how the UofL College of Business can let you get your MBA in just a year and feel like you're being paid to do so in the process. Again, business.louisville.edu. We're on the air today from 3 until 6 here on 1450 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming all over these United States. You know what's better as the big X. Mike Rutherford here. We have a Trevor Kelsey list a couple of days coming up, but Gary is rocking it behind the glass, looking great as always. Gary, how are you? I'm good. Had a great weekend and uh, looking forward to today. Talking sports instead of uh, Donald Trump and transgender things. Well, I was going to hit you up about your thought on the indictment tomorrow. What, what, what do you think the mugshot's going to look like? Uh, cuffs, no cuffs. How do you think this is all going to play out? Oh, he'll have cuffs and he'll be smiling. Are you, uh, I'm not going to get into it. I, I, <laughs> the text line does this thing. They've been doing it for the last like several days where they just want they want because Trevor has interesting opinions about everything and he's he's going to end up getting us kicked off the air i've been predicting this for like two years he's going to say something that finally just gets us shut down and the text line i think wants it to happen the people who listen to the show actively hate the show and so they'll be like trump indicted trev your quick thoughts and like every single day they've been doing this now before <laughs> the indictment happened and then trevor will like dive into he'll he'll act like he's like oh i don't want to talk and then he'll, he'll say something that just leads us down this rabbit hole of actually talking about it when we have no real like will to talk about it but that's the show that's that's what that's how it ends up happening well my wife is a big uh, news fan and she watches the news channels a lot and i have to go in the other room and put on family guy or the simpsons or something because i, I just you. get tired of it i don't blame you i do think the uh, the only thing that i'm really interested in all this is the mugshot like because you know you know it's all he really cares about he wants to, he wants it to look cool he wants it to look normal he doesn't want to look he doesn't want the nick nolte uh, mugshot. He doesn't want the. He doesn't want something crazy like that. <laughs> you know, that is classic Nick Nolte. I guarantee he's practicing it. I guarantee he's getting ready. But that will all go down tomorrow. It is national championship game Monday, the last day of the college basketball season for 2022. 
2023. We'll talk a lot about that. We'll react to yesterday's women's national championship game. A lot has been discussed there. Uh, we'll get into all that good stuff. Keon Menafield has cut his list to six schools. The highly sought after, the, the guy who Trevor keeps saying in a very disturbing voice, I want him. Uh, he is now down to six schools. Louisville made the list. We'll talk about the latest on the Keon Menafield front. A couple reactions to football news over the weekend. Also at 4 o'clock, we're going to have Sean Moth, show favorite, front of the program. He's going to come on at 4 and talk about this Louisville baseball team, which drops another ACC series over the weekend to NC State. What's going on there? Can the Cards refine the form that they found back in uh, in Houston at the Shriners Classic? Let's get Sean's thoughts on all that. And then at 5 o'clock, we'll have Keith Wynn. He's been at all the open practices for the football team. He's been penning his thoughts and putting them on cardchronicle.com. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we'll get his, we'll pick his brain about what he's seen. Pierce Clarkson on the field for the first time over the weekend, so we'll talk to Keith at five. And of course, we want to hear from you on the Thornton sex line at 502-414-1450. It'll be a good text line day. Uh, questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, topic ideas, whatever you got on your mind, text us. And a reminder, Thornton's is hooking you up with 89-cent fountain drinks of 32 ounces or smaller uh, for a limited time only. 89 cents, gigantic fountain drink for less than a buck at any one of the 89,892 Thornton's locations. Download that Refreshing Rewards app, save yourself some money at the pump, get yourself a big drink for less than a buck, and then text us at 502-414-1450. It is an incredible day outside. It feels like, it finally does feel like spring. I feel like it's always this week, right like right after the Final Four, where the weather just just perks up. Got out yesterday, mowed the grass, did some some housekeeping stuff. Uh, it, just, it feels like we finally, I know there's, there's almost always a last gasp. I feel like the last gasp was last week of winter. I feel like we've We've crossed that bridge. Spring is here. Now here come the the awful storms. Uh, that's the next thing we have to look forward to. And you know, today's an anniversary here in Louisville. April third, nineteen seventy four. Tornado was, was when the tornado went yeah. through and and tore up most of the uh, uh, was a Northfield subdivision yeah. there along seventy one. I didn't realize it was April third. I didn't realize it was this early in the calendar year. My my brother at the time, I was still in high school, but he was already out working. He had a job at Our Lady of Peace Hospital, and he came home that night and was telling us, because I lived out in Oldham County, and we didn't, you know, we just saw it on TV and heard it on the radio, and he said, boy, he said, he said That's, it's rough to be working at a place like Our Lady of Peace when, when, when a tornado goes through, but it, oh, it, it didn't destroy anything there, but, you know, being across from Bellarmine, I don't know how much damage, but did a lot of damage in the Highlands over in my neighborhood. Uh, the house I live in now, I go up in the attic and I can see where it was patched, where a big storm limb went through my house. Jeez. Yeah. Did you guys, speaking of, of storms and everything this weekend, I think it was, I guess it was Friday night was the big wind and, um, oh yeah. and like we have, we, we have an old St. Matthew's house, like our, like where I'm sleeping, the upstairs room is essentially like an attic for a normal house. Like it's, you know, one of those little. I think probably designed as an act originally got redesigned into it. So it sounds like the world's ending whenever there's like a 30 mile an hour wind. So right. I'm up there, it's hollering, it's going nuts. Did you guys keep power? Yes, we, well, we lost power for about a minute and a half. So we, we lost power twice. And the first time it happens, like it goes off temporarily and we have the, the kids sleep with sound machines. So, you know, John is one years old. Um, he sleeps with a sound machine and when you lose power, the sound machine goes off. And like, so you lose, so we lost power for like 30 seconds and it comes back on and Mary's texting me from down and she's like, she's like, thank God. We're like both like, thank God. And, but John wakes up. We're like, yeah, okay, this is, we can deal with this. And you put him back to sleep. Power come, came back on power like, right when the storms end after two hours of nonstop howling wind, awful lightning, big thunder. 
right when the storms stop for good, we just lose power out of nowhere. And it goes off. And like we finally, you know, John wakes up again. Both kids are awake. It's two in the morning. I've got final four games to cover the next night. Like I'm, I'm already just oh. sleep deprived. And so we're just, we're struggling. It finally comes on about three hours later. But the problem when our electricity comes on is we had, when we moved into the house, they had like a security system. We've stopped paying for it since then, but it still will like, it will beep when, you know, you walk in the door, we, we haven't disarmed it or anything. And when the power comes back on after being cut off, the alarm sounds like the so it's like thank god our power came back on but also it feels like an intruder is breaking to our house and like so that wakes the kids up again so like like on four different occasions friday night the kids are up we're up we're, we're just we're dead we have to get virginia out to ballet on saturday morning mary has to drive her parents to the airport for, they're leaving for spring break it was just an absolute catastrophe it, but it just made, made it. for a pleasant saturday didn't it it was a long saturday too like we had was, there was a lot we went from you one word, Generac. <laughs> we did ballet, then we did the zoo, which I think every Louisvillean parents, every Louisville family that wasn't going on spring break also had the same idea of going to the zoo on Saturday. We saw a million people we knew. That was fun. And then I'm up late covering the games. Uh, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was something. But could be worse. Power came back on. No trees falling on houses. No terrible damage to deal with. Cable didn't go out? No, it was okay. We were, we were, we were all right. Good. But it did it give us a chance to watch the game Saturday night. We'll talk about the men's in just a second. I do want to start by talking about the women's game yesterday and kind of the fallout from the women's game yesterday. And if that doesn't interest you, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, we're going to spend like 10 minutes on each topic here and we'll move on. But it interests a lot of people. And you know how I know that? Five and a half million people watched the national semifinal between South Carolina and Iowa, which if you're looking for an equivalent, that's sort of like the – the big noon Saturday games, big nude Saturday on Fox during college football season, huge game. That's about what they draw on a week to week basis. One of the biggest college football games of the weekend is about five and a half million people, five million, somewhere in that vicinity. And that's how many people watched a women's national semifinal. Um, if you're looking to compare it to the NBA, it was twice as many people uh, as the most viewed game from the NBA on ESPN Family of Networks this season. And yesterday, I, don't, I haven't seen the numbers out, but it was an ABC game. Network TV still is, is dominant when it comes to TV ratings. I'm assuming it'll be bigger than the $5.5 million for the, the, the South Carolina game, but we'll find out. But if you've watched sports long enough, and certainly if you've, if you've covered sports or talked about sports or just you, you're obsessed with sports, you can almost see storylines for the next day developing as they're happening sometimes. Like a, a certain thing will happen. You'll be like, oh boy, here we go. I saw that yesterday. So I'm watching. I'm Make no bones about it. I am rooting against Kim Mulkey with every ounce of my being. And that was like, as fun as watching South Carolina versus Iowa on, on Friday night was. There was a part of me that was like, look, South Carolina has already stomped these ladies a couple of times. I just want Mulkey not to win a national title. I can't stand her. She's, she's obnoxious. I just, I just do not like the woman at all. Iowa winning is fun for the sport. Caitlin Clark's a great story. I'm not sure that they can beat LSU. I don't have the same amount of confidence as I have in South Carolina. That was in my mind. And sure enough, that fear plays out yesterday as, as LSU rolls to a national championship. But the big storyline is you could see it happening. Angel Reese seeks out Caitlin Clark at the end of the game. She does the, the John Cena can't see me thing that Clark had done to Haley Van Lith uh, in, in the Elite Eight. She seeks her out a couple of times, keeps doing it, does the point to her ring finger thing. And right away, I'm like, this is going to become the talk of, of, of tomorrow because there's going to become a, I think, probably deserved 
racial conversation about this. Some people are going to go nuts about this who didn't go nuts about Caitlin Clark doing the same thing. There's going to be people comparing the two. What Clark did wasn't as bad. But like this is going to be what winds up defining this game. And if we're being frank, it's a good thing for women's college basketball that it did. Because if that does not happen, the big storyline from yesterday is officiating and shining a spotlight on this thing that women's college basketball fans have been talking about for decades now, which is the officials, uh, for lack of a better term, suck ass. They're terrible. They're, they're, they're absolutely atrocious. And it happens at the in the regular season, at the mid-major level. It happens in big games in the regular season. And it happens in the biggest games of all time. We felt that firsthand in 2018. And you saw it yesterday. Caitlin Clark gets taken out of the game, the main draw. She sits with three fouls in the first half. She gets called for a technical in the second half. Um, there's There's... Bad calls both ways. It's an, it's an atrociously officiated game. That's what people are talking about today if we don't have the Angel Reese thing. And my opinion on all this is, is one that I haven't heard a whole lot. Both players involved here annoy me. Like, like I, I, I get that they're both fantastic. I get that Caitlin Clark, I understand why she's the story that she is. And I came on here the, the, the day after, the, I guess the, the show after, the Elite Eight game, and kind of defended the ESPN coverage of just Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Clark, the Caitlin Clark tracker, the, the stat tracker, the numbers, all this, because she deserved it. She scored more than 40 points and had a triple-double uh, in the Elite Eight. She had nine rebounds, but whatever. She had a triple-double technically against Louisville. She did something that had never been done before. Yeah, that's going to generate a ton of, of conversation. And also, look at the TV ratings. They, they People are tuning in for her primarily. It's understandable. They're not doing it for us. They're doing it for the casual viewer. But, and I feel like I'm kind of alone on this. She kind of annoys me. Like, like as it wasn't just because she was doing it against my team. I feel like she whines about every call, and that's not atypical for stars, but her especially. Like, she won't, like, there were a couple of plays uh, yesterday where she thought she got fouled, and she just didn't hustle back. And, like, you know, she she gets her person, her her the woman she's supposed to be guarding, gets open for a look, or they get a second chance opportunity because she's not in, in position. All that kind of annoyed me. And yeah, talking smack to Haley Van Lith, who's a player for my team, also was a, a little bit annoying. She did. It wasn't just the you can't see me. She famously did the you're down 15 points. Shut up. Uh, which look, it's all within the game. It's fine. I'm not the biggest fan of it. HVL certainly does her own fair share of smack talking. It's not the biggest deal in the world to me, but she does kind of annoy me. The Angel Reese stuff from yesterday kind of annoyed me too. I thought that it was unnecessary at the end of the game to seek her out specifically and do it. Um, like right in her, like she clearly was was just like following her around, wanted the camera on her, wanted Clark's attention. She was going right after her. And then that's one thing, like the one big difference between what Clark did and what Reese did yesterday, if there was one, was that Clark kind of, you know, she, she didn't really keep it up after the game. She took no shots at, at Van Lith. She took no real shots afterward. Reese gets on Twitter and immediately starts, she, she tweets out the picture of her and Caitlin Clark's face. She's retweeting everything. She's talking about it after the game. She's bringing it up without provocation. Like, that's, it's fine. You're well within your right to do that. But it was kind of annoying to me. So, like, I'm not... I understand why the racial stuff has come up. I understand why the you know men don't get criticized as much for this. It all kind of annoys me. It's not the biggest deal in the world. I don't mind a little bit of smack talking here and there, but it felt like both players kind of went out of their way to make it about them. And that to me was a little bit, I, th- I thought it was equally annoying if we're being quite frank. Um, but it, you knew it was going to be the talk and certainly it has been and everybody's running with their own narratives. And I like it because it takes the attention away from Kim Mulkey a little bit, and I don't want her to have attention because, again, 
She annoys me. She's obnoxious. I wanted anybody but LSU to win the national title this year, including you know, UConn, Tennessee, anybody. Uh, South Carolina repeating undefeated. That's fine. Just anybody but LSU. And sure enough, they win with a just absurd performance uh, going nuts from three. I also want to correct something that I said after the Iowa game because I came in here and I was talking about watching the Iowa-Louisville performance in the Elite Eight was sort of like on the men's side if Pitsnoggle and Gansey and all those guys just had never stopped making threes from the outside. And somebody sent me a link. I, I guess I'd forgotten. They shot 18 of 24 for the game, West Virginia did, against Louisville in 05 in the Elite Eight game. The fact that Louisville found a way to win that game is nothing short of miraculous when you look at the box score. They, were eight, they, they, they really never stopped hitting. They were like Iowa in that game against Louisville. The, question, the, the only difference was Louisville started hitting as well and uh, kind of started running them off the three-point line and just wouldn't let them attempt it. They made 18 out of 24 shots. But that LSU gave that type of performance yesterday. They played the same way that, that Iowa did against Louisville in the Elite Eight, just didn't stop missing. They had a, a woman come into the game who had scored like 12 points in the tournament, had 21 in the first half, did not miss a shot in the first half. Um, it was a, like, they're a deserving national champion. And it's why, I guess if you're women's college basketball, you feel good that the conversation isn't about the officiating because the officiating, it really didn't decide the game. It was obnoxious because we want to see the stars play. The stars were on the bench for a large portion of the first half. The technical was silly, but LSU won by 17. They were the better team. They, they were the better team from start to finish. I, I like that Iowa's coach didn't really hold back after the game. Um, you know, She didn't blame the officials for her team not winning, but she also said, look, this has been a problem in the sport for a long time. It was, I thought some of it was ridiculous. I'm not going to, I don't want to get fined, but it sucked. And that was uh, pretty much what, what, what we were doing. So uh, props to LSU. I'm, I'm not the biggest fans, but props. On the men's side, and we'll take some text from you guys coming up at, uh, in, the second, uh, in the second segment. I have the game Saturday night. The first game is clearly a storyline, and it, it is, I don't know if ironic is the word. It's almost, it's fitting, I guess, that the game that everybody was overlooking going into Saturday night, the game that everybody was saying, this is why the TV ratings are going to be low. This is why the product on the court is going to be bad. San Diego State versus Florida Atlantic. It's fun. If it's a first weekend matchup, it has no business being on the sport's biggest stage. This is where the Titans are supposed to battle it out. That's the game that everybody was talking about on Sunday and the game that everybody's still talking about here on Monday afternoon, and deservedly so. It was the better game of the two. There's no question about it. It gave us an all-time March moment. Um, it wasn't... I saw some people trying to compare it to all-time great Final Four games. or It had an all-time great Final Four ending. But I don't think you can call it the best game of I, I don't think you can call it the best game of the tournament because it was sloppy as hell for stretches in the final 10 minutes. The first 30 minutes were fantastic. I, I thought FAU controlled the flow. They played the way that they wanted to play. Both teams shot it better than they had been shooting in the tournament. You got SDSU's Matt Bradley, who'd been just kind of abysmal for the first four weeks. He's, he's breaking out. He's making shots. It was a fun back and forth, and then it got a little bit sloppy at the end. It got saved by a fantastic finish, but it was it was not the most pristine game of all time. I thought the storyline with Lamont Butler was pretty cool. I love the fact that this is a kid, and I, if you've been reading the website or reading SB Nation for a while or, or listening to me on the radio, you know I, I, I am a sucker for college basketball stories, for the journey, for I love how much things can change from mid-October when practice is going and the exhibition start to the first weekend in April, how you know players become 
just entirely different specimens. Coaches can go from the guy who couldn't win the big one to the next big thing in the sport. Like it, it all just changes so dramatically. I think it's a it's a wonderful journey for every team and every player. And Lamont Butler, I'd kind of forgotten about this game. I do remember watching it because we were in Maui. It was the the fourth place game of the Maui Invitational, and San Diego State was playing Arkansas. They both teams had lost the day before. They're playing for third place, and SDSU has the game won. They're up by four with 13 seconds left. Butler commits a atrocious foul like no reason to foul your team is you know Arkansas is just desperate at this point for a ba- basket um, he commits a, a meaningless foul lets Arkansas go to the line makes two free throws cuts it to a two-point game and then right afterward Butler as, as Arkansas is extending full court pressure throws the ball away Arkansas ends up tying the game at the buzzer they win it in overtime and like Lamont Butler is on the receiving end of a lot of hateful stuff on social media. He's, you know, fans are saying you don't belong on the court. You don't belong with this team. And he has this great quote afterwards where he's talking about like, I'm, I'm embarrassed by the way I played it, but I can't let these six seconds define me. Like they, that becomes like a mantra for that team at the beginning of their season. They, they make t-shirts with, I can't, I can't let these six seconds define me. And sure enough, in January, he gets a game winning shot at the buzzer against New Mexico, who at the time was, was really well thought of. And then last night, he goes from the guy who could not get it done in the clutch, who wilted under the pressure of the bright lights of Maui, to a guy who hits the first true Final Four buzzer beater by a team that, that needed the shot to win the game, that, that, by a team that went from losing the game to winning the game. There have been buzzers, shots at the buzzer to win national titles. There have been shots at the buzzer to win Final Four games. All of them before Saturday nights had been in a tie game. The, the Jalen Sugg shot against UCLA a couple of years ago uh, was from, you know, from just inside half court. It was a tie game. The famous the, you know, the Chris Jenkins shot, Villanova uh, versus North Carolina in 2016, in the same building, NRG Stadium in Houston, was a shot with the game tied. The famous NC State game, the, the Houston five slamma jamma, beat at the buzzer, Valvano going nuts, was a tie game. In all of those cases, if the shot misfires, you still get a chance to win the game in overtime. Butler's is the first one where true buzzer beater, Goes in, you go from losing the game to winning the game in a snap of a finger. And it was the first buzzer beater that the tournament's seen since, uh, since that shot by Suggs in, in 2021, which was cool. It was awesome. I, I, I love the, the storyline of him going. It, it's a great redemption arc. He also has a very cool backstory. Uh, the Athletic wrote about it today, uh, overcoming some tragedy to get to where he is. It's a, it, was just a, it was a cool moment. I enjoyed seeing it. I love the SDSU celebration. I thought that they... They got away with a little bit late as far as some of the coaching decisions by Dutcher. I, I thought it was strange not to try to extend the game, but it worked out. I thought it was weird when they get the ball with six seconds left and his best two best offensive players are both on the bench. He does not call timeout to get them in the game. Let's it ride. Uh, he says jokingly afterwards he ran out of place to call. It was just, you know, they've lived kind of a charmed life these last couple of rounds. Um, when you look back at what happened against Creighton, I mean, they – let Creighton back in the game with a atrocious decision to throw an inbounds pass in under their own basket that Creighton intercepted and, and made a layup to tie the game. And then, of course, the the foul call in the final seconds that was very controversial. You do kind of wonder if they've been playing with fire for too long going up against a UConn team tonight that has been an, a juggernaut in this NCAA tournament. And that's, to me, the it's the primary storyline here. You've got SDSU, first team ever to win an elite game, Elite Eight game and a Final Four game by one point in the same season. They're the third team in the history of the NCAA tournament to win back-to-back games by a single point. And then you've got UConn, who is 
in the midst of one of the most dominant runs in NCAA tournament history. They've not lost a game or not won a game by fewer than 13 points. They have won by an average of 20.6 points. Nobody has really tested them. Will they get tested tonight? And I think it just we'll talk more about the game in the final segment. I'll make my prediction and give you some things to, to look out for. But I do think if you are a betting person, gambling's coming to Kentucky soon. we got like eight months. So soon we won't even have to talk about going across the bridge. But if you are somebody who likes to go across the bridge and make a wager or, or two, it's a seven and a half point spread tonight. And I would say, if you like San Diego State to cover that spread, go ahead and take a money line. Because if there is a fatal flaw with this UConn team, I'm not sure there is, but if there is something you can point to and say, eh, this is why I, I like San Diego State's chances. UConn doesn't win close games. They blow teams out or they lose. There's no in-between. They're 16-0 in non-Big East games this season, which is outrageous, have not lost a non-conference game all season long. They've won all of those games by double figures, which is insanely impressive. They've won every game in this tournament by double figures, which is insanely impressive. But if they find themselves in a situation where they need last-minute execution, poise, all of those things, are they going to be able to do it? The last time they were in that situation was the Big East Tournament semifinal against Marquette, and they did not handle it well at all. They misfired in their last five possessions. They let Marquette get what they wanted to. Uh, they made a dumb foul in the final minute, and they lost by two. Their lo- Every game that they've played this season, under six points, they've lost. They lost a tight game to Creighton in February. They lost a three-point game to Xavier in late January. They lost a one-point game to Seton Hall in January. They lost a six-point game to Marquette in January. They either win big or they don't win at all. And SDSU, say what you will about getting a little bit lucky, living a little bit of a charmed life. They've been in tense situations all tournament long, and they've responded. And they've won five games as a result. I mean, not just the last two, not just the, the, the Creighton and the FAU game. Bama was tight late. They made the big plays necessary. First round against Charleston, it was very tight late. They made the big plays necessary. If it gets down to like a, we're tied with a minute to go, you kind of feel like it's advantage San Diego State. So if you're saying, I think they cover seven and a half, I think they keep it one possession, two possession game, go ahead and bet a money line. Take a leap of faith. Um, real quickly, before we go to break, and we'll take some, some text in, in the second segment. Keon Menefield, who's been, I, I think, the, the player in the transfer portal that I've been the most excited about since we got Sky Clark. <laughs> I know Trevor likes him as well. I think most listeners like him as well. Washington point guard, he was a true freshman this past season. All Pac-12 freshman team. He released his top six over the weekend. Tennessee, Alabama, Washington, who I guess he's still considering coming back for another year, which is interesting. Louisville, Arkansas, and Ohio State. Now, it's been laid out there ever since he entered the transfer portal that this is kind of a competition between Louisville and Alabama. Um... I said last week I'd reached out to somebody who follows recruiting and follows the transfer portal to say, like, what are our chances here? And he said, I would put Louisville as a slight leader, but it's a 1A, 1B situation with Louisville and Alabama right now. I like on his graphic that he's got a balloon. You know my thing. Take the recruits to the hot, to the hot air balloon glow. It's the, it's the big thing. It's what five stars want to see. Forget NIL. Forget money. Watch these balloons light up. Just take them out there. It's the, you ever been to the chat wagon? It's that time of the year. 
get get this man in town, take him to a balloon glow, take him to the chow wagon. What about a bed race? You ever seen a bed race before? Oh, there you go. Locked in. He's coming here. He's a West Coast. He's never seen anything like that before on the West Coast. Washington can't give that to him. You're not going to see that in Birmingham, Tuscaloosa. Get out of here. This is what we have. Some people have also, I love how much people have been reading into this graphic. And it's on Twitter if you want to see it. Uh, at the chosen one with two zeros as the O's is, is Keon Menafield's uh, Twitter handle. Throw in a Pegasus pin. Only if it's gold. Only That's if right. it's gold. Yes. The thrill of opening one, though, even if it's not, may be enough to bring him into the Derby City. But people have looked at this graphic. They see the balloon. They see the plane, which they say is the same one that the football players have been using for their Flyville graphics. I've got no idea if that's true. There are also birds around this jumbotron in the background. Some people are trying to say that they're cardinal birds and they've just been blocked out. Um, I, I don't. They look like their wings are way too big to be cardinal birds to me. I'm not an avian expert, but we'll see. Uh, but I, I, look. If, you, if you're choosing to believe the signs, all signs point towards Louisville being the leader here. Let's get this done. Get the man to the balloon glow. Lock it up, KP. Let's make it happen. Uh, let's, let's send him over to Kroger to see the uh, the roses, you know, when they're, we're throwing uh, them go. all together. Yeah. I, oh, me, did you really? It kept me in the city. Yeah, I wanted to go see it every year. <laughs> go watch Forte. Uh, you wanted to see Cindy Sullivan. That's oh, you're damn right. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Menafield, what I like about him, he is a true game manager. He's a point guard who can control tempo. He's a great finisher. He's a great passer. He's a good shooter. He also doesn't turn the ball over. Like, we were so without a player with his skill set last season. And I, and I love L. Ellis, and I think he gave us everything that he had last year. But if you had a Menafield playing alongside of him, I think the the atrocious turnover numbers from last season – are just bad. They're not historically bad. They're just, they're probably bad. Menafield would have solved a lot of problems. Giving him a running mate, I think, would have made the offense that much better. And also just, it would have kept those opponents from getting all those cheap points off of those all, all those live ball turnovers. I think he can, I think he's got room for improvement. The defense is the one thing that I'm not sure because they play at Washington. They play that 2-3 zone, the Jim Beheim 2-3 zone that Mike Hopkins took over with him from Syracuse. I don't know. I mean, KP's going to want to play man to man. That we know that's his thing. We don't. I don't know how much of a on ball defender Minifield can be. But look, he's he's athletic. He's got good length. He's got good size. You can take players with his natural abilities and turn them into great defenders if they have the will to make that happen. And that's what we're looking for next year. We're looking for an increase in effort, an increase in will, and really. Proof that, that this coaching staff can coach these players up and take uh, all this untapped talent and turn it into something that's a, a cohesive unit that can compete for a, a trip to the NCAA tournament. And Menafield would be a great addition to that roster. So um, those are the three big hitters for now. We'll talk more about the national title game a little bit later. We'll take our first break. We'll come back. We'll turn the text line over to you guys. 502-414-1450. Your thoughts coming up after the break here on 1450 The Big X.
Hey, welcome back in. Monday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 The Big X. Reminder, if you have air conditioning problems coming up, I, can, I feel like I can stop saying heating. Hopefully. I can stop saying heating and air conditioning. If your AC has an issue coming up during the spring and summer months, call our friends over at AirServe at 502-785-8600. AirServe has technicians available for you 24-7. So if it's burning hot and your AC goes out at 1 in the morning, you got small children, maybe some pets out there that you need that AC back on, AirServe will have somebody available. They'll come out to your home. They'll fix your problem. Give them a call at 502-785-8600. They also are going to give tune-ups for just $49 if you call them today. Uh, and for a limited time, you can get up to 60 months. No interest financing on a qualifying rude system. AirServe.com slash Louisville is the website. 502-785-8600 is the number. You know, we've had this new partnership with, with Racing Lou and, and Louisville FC, Louisville City FC, for the last couple of weeks, we've been giving away season tickets, giving away individual game tickets. We're going to keep doing that. But I was a little bit concerned. I mean, there's a history with this show of everything that we touch kind of going to hell. Um, I, I don't know if that's the, the right way to phrase it, but we're uh, we're a little bit cursed. We, we have something going on here. So we start hanging out. You know, Lou City is the, the preseason favorites in the USL. By the time we have this partnership, they're already off to a, a solid 2-0 start, but we're getting them ready for their first home game. They play the worst team in the USL by by points at that point in time, um, the El Paso Locomotives, who I believe were 0-3 with a ridiculous goal differential. They come to, to Lynn Family Stadium. The weather's fantastic. It's pristine last weekend, and Lucidy loses 3 to nothing. It was a ridiculous result, but that's you know not us. We're moving on. We're going to be fine. And then this past weekend... They go out to Sacramento. They play uh, Sacramento Republic in another game that it feels like they should probably win, and they lose 5 nothing. If not for racing Louisville staging a furious comeback on Saturday in their first home match of the season to, uh, to, to pull out a 2-2 draw against the Washington Spirit, I'd be feeling a little bit, a little bit worried right now. But it's a long season. It's a long way to go until mid-October. We're feeling good about things. And if you'd like to buy your season tickets... For either club, uh, you, you can do so now. It's a great deal. $17 per game. Call 502-LUCITY or go to RacingLouFC.com slash tickets or LouCityFC.com slash tickets to join for these fantastic seasons. Tickets, Season ticket package is still available, still very affordable, uh, and still on sale now. So we're sorry to LouCity. This is kind of on us. I, did, I, I voiced the intro for the basketball team two years ago, and horrible, but... Look, we won more than four games. That wasn't this past season was not on me. I voiced the intro video for the Louisville Bats last year. They finished with the worst record in, in the International League. I can't stress this enough. This is not my fault. Just a coincidence. It's just a. I, I'll say this: I've done the coin toss at a Lou City game. They won that game five nothing. Well, there you go. I gave a speech before a Bellarmine game as the honorary captain. They won by thirty one. Maybe it's just maybe it's the maybe it's the station. Maybe it's not me. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But we're going to get this thing fixed. We're going to be okay. <clears throat> 502-414-1450. You know we're not cursed because Thornton's is fantastic. they got the best donuts, the best coffee, the best gas prices in the city, and they're a partner of ours. So if, if Thornton's is with us, who could be against us? Text us on the Thornton's text line at 502-414-1450. We'll take some thoughts from you guys now after I ranted and rambled for the first uh, 30 minutes there. Texas says... I love Menafield's game and was getting really excited about the thought of him in a Louisville jersey, but unfortunately, he's a Razorback. 
He gave his decision away by following all the returning Arkansas players on Instagram. He doesn't follow any Louisville players or players from the other teams that made the cut. I don't like hearing that. I don't, I don't like that at all. I'm hoping that it's just something that we're reading too much into this. Having said that, if that's true, and this is just this is a texter saying this, I have not looked into this myself. More times than not, the social media sleuthing gets to the bottom of things. And I, I, I hate admitting that, but it's true. When you when a recruit follows a bunch of Louisville players and after the visit and like they're all in, most of the time I feel like when people are pointing that out, we end up getting that player. So if Menafield is following all these, and I don't know what Arkansas does with all these transfers, but they, they certainly get their fair share. But if Menafield is following all these Arkansas players and not following any Louisville players, then that's not a great sign. I, th- I think that you have to hope that we can, maybe this is because he took a visit. He was paid an in-house visit. I don't know. I, I don't know what happened there. But you'd love to get him on campus and at least give him our pitch and get him to Bowling Glow. But we'll find out. Texas, is there a chance that we get Karan Davis's brother? I'm assuming you're referring to John L. Davis from Florida Atlantic, who's actually his cousin. Uh, they're both originally from Gary, Indiana. They played together at their high school in Gary. Um, I don't know if John L. Davis has any interest in entering the NCAA transfer portal. I thought one of the the more intriguing storylines from over the weekend that developed was when Dusty May was talking at media availability on Friday, the Florida Atlantic head coach. And they were talking about the transfer portal, and he was like, he got asked the question something along the lines of, you know, you've got a lot of underclassmen. Like they they were a very young team that won 35 games this season and made it to the Final Four for the first time in program history. Not a lot of seniors on that. I think they only lost one guy, the Forest kid who was who was so good for them, is the only player who can't come back next year. And so somebody asked, are you worried about bigger programs now, seeing all the success that you've had, targeting your players, and trying to get them to enter the, their name in the transfer portal? And he was like, it's already happening. He's like, my guys have been recruited this entire tournament. We've had programs reaching out to us since the Conference USA tournament. And that sucks. I, I, I'm not surprised by that. I feel like it happens everywhere. But it especially sucks when you're chasing a national title. I mean, these moments don't happen often for any program, let alone a program like FAU. This may be as close as they ever get to to winning a national championship. In fact, I'd say that it's history suggests it's far more likely than not that that's the closest that they'll ever get to winning a national championship. And if the, if bigger schools recruiting their players was even a minimal distraction, you, you hate that. You hate to think that maybe it played some sort of part. But as far as John L. Davis specifically, I'd love to have him. He was certainly fantastic for them all March. He's a great player, works his ass off, ha- has all the intangibles that I think Kenny Payne wants to see. But I've got zero clue whatsoever uh, as far as whether or not he's even thinking about leaving FAU. I, I mean, there was a part of me that got excited watching him play, just thinking if he shares some DNA with Karan Davis, like maybe we're getting, you know, we still, we have no idea what we're getting in Karan Davis. He is a Juco player who we don't know about still to this day. But seeing the way that his cousin played maybe got you a little bit more excited about, about what Karan Davis might be able to bring to the table. Texas, now I need to know Gary's political leanings. Damn it. Oh, somebody told me a long time ago, don't let people know your political leanings. Keep it straight down the middle. He likes Family Guy. That's all. That's all that matters when it when it comes up. I, I did think back in the day. I think now it's with everything being so divided and it being kind of impossible to just stay. Because I've always tried to just not bring politics into the radio show or the you know the the, the website when possible. 
But I do remember back in the day, like both sides definitively thought that I was in their camp. Like there would be, I remember it was the, it was the Obama Romney election where like both sides were like, I know who you voted for. And I was like, damn, I was like, I thought, I was like, I thought it was fairly obvious, but it, apparently not. Um, but yeah, we don't need to do that. Texas listeners love the show and they don't want to cancel Mike. What listeners want is a debate between a Bobby voice, Trevor and a Mickey mouse voice, Rutherford debate, Trump indictment or any political issue. It'll be gold. I tell you gold. Yeah. If you missed the show on Friday, Trevor did. If you're familiar with the show, Bobby's world from the nineties, the, the cartoon with Howie Mandel, Trevor did this voice of Bobby. That was the most disturbing. And <laughs> it, it, it sounded nothing like Bobby. I can't even pretend to, to, to mimic it. But he wouldn't stop doing it. He knew that it bothered me. He knew that I, I genuinely wanted it to stop. I did not think it was funny. And he wouldn't stop. I mean, uh, Scoots, who was producing the show, was like texting on the text line like, while he's producing the show, being like, please stop. This is, this is horrible. <laughs> but it sounded, it sounded like some sort of monster from Star Wars. He was like, Bobby's, Bobby's going. I, was, I, don't, I can't even do it. You have to listen to it on Friday. But it drove me crazy. Always available on the podcast. Always available on podcasts. Wherever you can find your podcast, just search Big X Sports Radio. Wherever podcasts are sold. Wherever podcasts are. Buy your podcast episodes. Buy them hot. Texas says, why does an LSU player care what Clark did two games prior? And especially to follow her around her and keep doing it. It seemed like she just wanted the negative attention. She definitely wanted the attention. There's no doubt about that. And it did seem, I mean, it was odd that she like made it a point to go after Caitlin Clark and do that when, as the texter said, the Clark thing, it's not like it happened earlier in the season against LSU. It's not like she was doing a signature move that was mocking LSU in any way, shape, or form. Like She was going after Haley Van Lith, who, look, I mean, we're all HVL fans. HVL talks her fair share of smack. Turnabout's fair play. Like, kind of annoyed me, but it's whatever. Like You, you also kind of understood it. I can't be not annoyed by Haley's smack talking and, and annoyed by Caitlin Clark's, um, you know, I think all of it could be toned down a little bit, but whatever. That's an old man take that I'm, I'm willing to stand behind. But it was very clear that Reese did it because I think she thinks in large part Clark gets more attention than she deserves. Like that seems to be why you would go after a player like that. Um, it was, it, it felt like a little bit much, but also like, you know, I felt like Clark's was a little bit much too. Texas also, the Texas Clark did it against HVL, but it was quick and she didn't seek it out. The LSU player seeked, sought her out, did it multiple times as Clark was trying to walk away. And while the rest of her team was celebrating, I definitely think the LSU player was worse. Also, BS on the tech call against Clark, but nothing from LSU coach basically assaulting a ref. Yeah, that was the, I mean, Kim Mulkey, she runs into the ref because she's on the court. And then as he's like trying to run, she like shoves him. She like smacks him out of the way. Everything she does annoys me. The outfits, I think are ridiculous. Um, I guess you can say, I mean, this is what we always do for like for a holes. Is we're always like they're good for the sport. They're they're good for the game. Does and she I, does she always dress that flashy? She she's she's definitely ratcheted up a few notches in this year. Like but, she always kind of wore. She would wear suit like she was the coach at Baylor when Louisville had their famous upset of of them back in 2013, and she had a suit jacket on, and I think it was like kind of like a a very bright neon green for. But it wasn't like the, the outfits that she's been wearing recently, where she's clearly doing it for attention. <clears throat> but she she annoys me. I guess, yeah, she's good for the game because, I mean, look, I, I had more of a rooted interest in yesterday's final, in, in Friday night's national semifinal, because I was rooting so hard against her. So in I, in that regard, yeah, I guess she's, she's good for the game. She certainly is a big-time character. But um, she did find it in her heart to finally come out and say Brittany Griner, the player who basically made her career, 
she was happy that she got home safely. That's one of the things that has annoyed me about her the most is that speaking of not willing to take a, a political side because everything's political now, is she got asked about Brittany Griner when Brittany was being held captive in Russia and she didn't want to make a comment, wouldn't make a comment. Like, you don't have to come out and say like, I defend everything she did or, or whatever. Like just say, I clearly know Brittany well. I hope that she comes home safely. Like, I don't think that, that was, it was, that was the bare minimum of what she could do. And she couldn't even say that this player that won her national championships at Baylor that made her coaching career, that turned her into a big coaching star. You can't even come out and be like, I hope she doesn't die in Russia. Couldn't even, couldn't even say that. And she finally over the weekend was like, I'm glad she's safe. And that was it. That's all you had to do. Just grow up. Texas. Can we talk about how trash talking is becoming a huge problem? in Basketball culture. Even AAU highlights are riddled with crazy taunting and horrible sportsmanship. And it starts with the biggest men and women stars that are setting bad examples. This includes Reese and Clark. I don't think this is going anywhere either. And this is definitely old man radio talk, but it's also old man radio talk that I kind of agree with. <laughs> if you watch like the reels on Instagram or TikTok, like it is, this is now how the youth consumes basketball. Like, like you don't, you, you can't get kids to sit down and watch a full two hour sporting event anymore. You can't get them to go like kids don't want to go to games anymore. Like attendance is dwindling in large part because kids aren't that interested. What just, they do just want to watch Sports Center. Well, they not even Sports Center. That even, oh, really? even that is too involved for them. What they want to watch is fifteen seconds clip, second clips on TikTok of crazy highlights. And I see that you know because I I guess I watch a lot of basketball stuff. My for you on Instagram is always targeted towards me. I get a lot of golf videos and I get a lot of basketball videos. And like all the highlights of kids, it's, it's kids just doing like the throwing the ball off the other kid's head and then like crossing them up and, and shaking and doing and hitting a shot and then like getting in his face, stepping over and like all this stuff. And I'm just like, there, like there's a, a very large part of me that is like, is this just what we're going to be like? It, it's just, it's highlight culture. It doesn't matter what the score is. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're getting better, you just want that, that shareable moment that's going to get you all over Instagram, all over Twitter, all over TikTok. And it's, yeah, it, it's it has become a very large part of the game. I definitely think there's a a, a place for taunting. Like, I, I think that you know, there's the old tagline that great teams taunt. Like, I like a good bat flip in baseball. I like a good celebration in any sport. I like a good dance after a touchdown in football. But like, when it's getting to a point where it's affecting the in-game play, I'm like, yeah, like it's, I don't know, man. Like, it it definitely seems to be going from prevalent. To like ubiquitous, like it, it is, it is everywhere. Um, and, and like Angel Reese, she was retweeting a bunch of stuff from people saying like, "Look, this is, this is here to stay. Like this next generation of athletes, they love to bleep talk. They love and like get ready for it." And she was like, "Yeah, hell yeah!" And I guess that that's what's happening. Texas, I believe everyone should take the hockey philosophy of trash talk, be boring as hell in front of a camera after the game, and talk smack on the playing surface. I do kind of like that. I, I like. I mean. When I grew up, like, part of the reason why I loved Barry Sanders growing up, and he was the biggest reason why I became a, a Lions fan, he just, you know, the, the, the whole, like, he just gave the ball to the ref when he scored a touchdown. I just thought it was cool growing up. I thought it was just, it was different. It was fun. So that's, yeah, I, I was an old man at heart when I was, like, seven years old. That, that's who I am. And I do kind of like the hockey mentality of, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to talk smack. We're not going to, whatever. Um, there you go. Texas, wouldn't you think Menafield would be a little less interested in Louisville now that Sky Clark is slotted to play point, or would Clark play the two? I, 
that's kind of the big question with Menafield. He is a natural point guard. Sky Clark, by all accounts, is being brought here to play point guard. I don't know if they would would pitch to Menafield, like we'll move Sky off the ball. I'm sure that you're not pitching a kid who's being recruited heavily by Arkansas and Alabama and programs that have had more success than you in recent years. I'm sure that you're not going after him and saying, we need more depth at the guard position. Maybe you can come off the bench and play 20 minutes a game. If he wanted to do that, um, I mean, he, he wouldn't be in the transfer portal. I mean, he was he was a starter last year at Washington who was not great, but certainly were better than we were. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do think that it probably hurts our chances unless KP has a a set plan in place unless he's I mean, they clearly want Menafield. They're clearly recruiting him. So I'm sure they have some sort of plan. I don't know if that is moving Sky Clark off the ball. Um, I don't know, but you, you, you've got to find some more guards out there or else we're going to be in a similar spot as we were last year where it's, it's Sky Clark playing the L Ellis role. And we're kind of just trying to figure it out as we go. Texas, uh, or, yeah, Trevor texted in and said, did I hear Menafield? He spelled wrong. It's okay. I want him. We know Trevor. We know Trevor says this all the time. <clears throat> Texas says, uh, will we in fact get a call from Greer to Rutherford this summer with three words, you're fired, Mike. Uh, I forgot yet, Greer. Greer does not have the ability to fire me. I know he's he's doing his stuff over at Racing Lou in Lou City. He can't fire me. He could try. He won't make it happen. Texas says, yeah, the, pre- the previous texture gave it away. It sounds like Minifield to Arkansas. Love to IU or Mizzou. Could have been, we could have a worse roster than last year. Happy Monday. Let's not let's not jump to crazy conclusions yet. It's not it's not gloom and doom time yet. I do hate that we're not getting either one of those. Love was always more of a long shot than Minifield. And I do think that Love, I think it's it sounds like it's Indiana, Missouri, or Memphis. Which probably fits, I think, all all of those programs. I still think that even if you don't get, man. Even if you don't get another really high-profile top-tier transfer, you still should have a roster that's better than last year. I, I think. The problem is it's going to be young again. And youth is a valid excuse when you're building a program to a certain extent. It's not a valid excuse when you're in year two at a program like Louisville and year one was four wins. We need to win at a fairly high clip next season for this fan base to have faith in Kenny Payne. Kenny Payne needs to, I mean, he's, he clearly has a lot of fans that are firmly in his corner. I think, I think most fans are in his corner as far as they want him to succeed. He's got some fans that are in his corner that are like, you can do whatever you want. You're the man. Like, we blindly, we, we, we trust you completely. You're going to get this program back. you got other fans that are in his corner that want him to succeed, but who are like, we won four games last year and we looked abysmal in the process. We need to see a little bit of something this year for us not to think that, you know, we need to go in a different direction after year two. He needs to win next season. And it's great to have a guy like Dennis Evans, who I think can be a big time performer as he gets better and more polished on defense. It's great to have Sky Clark, who showed flashes last season as a true freshman at Illinois. I don't know if just adding those guys and a group of talented freshmen, Trenton Flowers, I think can be a really, really, really good college player down the line. It is not a true freshman's game anymore. It's not really even a true sophomore's game anymore. The best teams in college basketball this season, last season, and the year before have all been teams loaded with experience, transfer talent, and guys that have been two, three, four-year college players at the same program. That combination is what is winning at the highest level right now. Louisville, as it stands right now, does not have that combination for next season. 
we've got a couple of young transfers. We've got a bunch of young players coming in. We've got a couple of guys, we think still, we still don't have official word yet, uh, coming back after playing last season for Kenny Payne. Right now, it's not a combination that I think gets you to the NCAA tournament. It's why you still need a couple of big-time players out of the transfer portal. Do I think they can be better than next year, last year? Surely to God. Surely to God. But just better than last year, I don't think it's Kenny Payne at year three. If we are if we have eight wins, technically it's twice as good as last year. It's not going to get him a, a third year. And this roster right now could be wrong. I don't think it's NCAA tournament good. He needs to add some experienced transfers. And it's only April 3rd. We've got plenty of time to do it. But when you see guys like Love and guys like Menafield who have Louisville on their list, who it gets reported nationally that Louisville's reached out and targets them and they go elsewhere, it starts to remind people a little bit of last offseason where that kept happening. And the NCAA excuse isn't there anymore. You can't, you can tell people definitively, we're going to be eligible for the 2024 NCAA tournament. He's got to get players out of the portal. He's already gotten one that I think is going to be good. I think Sky Clark is, is one of the best players available. He has a chance to be very good next season. He alone, though, is not going to take you from four wins to 20 wins. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Sean Moth on the show. He'll join us to talk a little bit about Louisville baseball. What's going on with the cards? A uh, couple of, uh, of bizarre ACC series in a row now. We'll get Sean's thoughts after the break. Keep it locked right here on 1450 and 96.1, The Big X. All right, welcome back in. Hour number two here, the Mike Rutherford Show on a Monday edition on 1450 and 96.1. The Big X, uh, going to be joined here shortly by Sean Moth, voice of Louisville Baseball, if we can get the phones working. Uh, I don't know, phone issues, part 5,500 here at, at Big X Nation. We'll try to get figured out. But uh, Sean will be reacting to Louisville Baseball over the weekend. It's I, I, I want to get Sean's thoughts because is this cause for concern? The Cards, who dominated the Shriners Classic uh, about a month ago, taking on three of the best teams in all of college baseball in Houston, uh, I mean, won those games in, in Pretty dominant fashion, beat a and by nine, uh, won a great pitcher's duel with TCU, and then blasted Michigan in a run rule game, 10 nothing. That same team now has dropped two consecutive ACC series. They've not been swept in either, uh, but they dropped two out of three against Notre Dame. And then this past weekend, they dropped two out of three against NC State and Raleigh. Uh, the first game on Friday night, they actually had a chance to close it out. They led 5-3 going into the ninth. Tate Keener uh, came in to close. A little bit of a controversial decision. Dan McDonald takes him out mid-batter. Uh, with the team still in front, Louisville ends up losing that game 6-5. to five. Then they get blasted on Saturday night, 10 to nothing, uh, And then they recover for a, a Sunday victory. 6-1 to one was the final yesterday. Cards now overall in the season, still ranked in the top 15. 21-6 with a uh, solid you know, 78% uh, win percentage. But just 4-5 and five in conference play is the, is the issue that hopefully at some point we're going to get these phones figured out. We'll talk to Sean about uh, they have a, a big-time series coming up this weekend, again, against Boston College. <clears throat> and if you're looking ahead for the first of the two Battle of the Bluegrass games against Kentucky, a week from tomorrow, Louisville's going to host Kentucky. The resurgent 
Bat Cats, who have been good this year. I think I think they're still ranked somewhere in the top 25. Uh, they've had a very solid start to their 2023 season, trying to save the job of, of Nick Mangione. Uh, they will host Kentucky on April 11th at 7 o'clock at Jim Patterson Stadium. The second of those two annual games is going to be two weeks later in Lexington uh, on April 25th. I'll take a couple of texts here as we try to figure out the, the phone situation and get Sean on the air. Texas says... Did you see Makai Becton's working out with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I did not. Um, I see. I, it's a link to an Instagram post. that says, New York Jets offensive tackle Makai Becton, who weighed as much as 400 pounds, is down to about 370 pounds after two weeks. He also has worked out with Francis Naganu and Schwarzenegger. Well, awesome. Great for Mak- Makai. needs to be, I mean, Look, if you've gotten too big, if you need to get in better shape, I'm sure it's hard with the injuries. Uh, you're already a big guy, but uh, yeah, reach out to Arnold. I don't know how they, uh, I'd love to know how Makai Becton got in touch with Arnold, but well, we'll see. Texas Mike, did you suspend Trevor for doing the voice, didn't you? Yes. That's the story that I will take. Trevor did the Bobby's World voice a little bit too much. And uh, I said, yeah, you, you can't do it. No, this, this was planned. Trevor... We're not sure exactly when he's going to be back. He's visiting some family. He's got, he'll definitely be out for the first three days this week. There's a chance that he might be back Thursday uh, and or Friday, but he's not going to be here for uh, for national championship reaction tomorrow. Texas' Angel was pissed at Caitlin visibly waving off the South Carolina player and implying, I don't need to play defense against you, even though you have the ball because you're no good. Is that what she was, is that what she was doing? Is that why she was so upset? I mean, I I did see the clip. And that player for South Carolina, I know that she was not a big offensive option. Like, that was, I mean, it was, I didn't have a big issue with it. It did seem like maybe a little bit unnecessary. She's playing way off of her, and she just kind of waved her off like you're not, you're not a threat, so I'm going to sag back and help out with the inside defense on Alyssa, uh, Alyssa Boston. But, I mean, if that made you mad, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Texas says, when Keith is on, will you ask him why he hates Brahm and his scheme so much? I would ask on Twitter, but I don't want to get blocked. Well, we can ask about uh, we, we can ask about Brahm. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. I don't think he hates Brahm's scheme. He just is he's asking questions, right? Texas says, I read a profile on Mulkey a year or two ago and went down a Twitter, Instagram rabbit hole on people within her circle. I'm pretty sure there's a person who's been with her since Louisiana Tech who now fancies herself a stylist and finds all the garish clothing for her. That does not surprise me at all. The, the fact that Kim Mulkey has her has an individual stylist is the least surprising thing that I've heard today. She, I, I mean, the thing about the, the semifinal outfit where she had like the weird pink like on, on top, I, I feel like I couldn't hate it because she walked out with her granddaughter and her granddaughter was wearing the same thing and it was kind of cute. And I was like, okay, like the, the, the granddaughter thing is kind of cute, but when you're wearing it by yourself on the sidelines and doing your standard Kim Mulkey stuff, then it's just, it's not, it's not, there's nothing cute about it. But, I don't know, she annoys me. I mean, she, she just, she's super annoying. What do you want me to say? Texas says, what about the late 90s, early 2000s era of Ron Artest and mixtape pickup basketball? I don't, I mean, that definitely bled over into the, the mainstream basketball culture. I mean, and one mixtape was a huge thing. It was, it was enormous. And I, I mean, I had friends in high school who like didn't play basketball for the team or anything, but who would practice and one moves and would do it like in our intramural games and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's probably maybe that's where this whole thing got its jump start. It's, it's not going away anytime soon, though. I think highlight culture is 
is real and it's prevalent and it's it's only getting more and more important. I mean, I, I, there was a, a, a viral video of like a nine-year-old team doing the stuff, doing the, you know, the, the bow and arrow thing and doing the year too small thing after scoring. And it's just, it's a, it's, it's, it's all a little wild. Texas, we, have, we have Sean on the line. Oh, we have Sean. Yes. Great. Perfect. All right. We've got, uh, we have now, as promised, Sean Moth, the voice of Louisville baseball here. You can hear his calls on 970 WGTK. Uh, Sean, welcome into the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you, Mike? Uh, doing well. Better now that we got you on here. The phone's always an issue here, but we made, we made it work. We made it happen. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the, the weekend that was, I was mentioning in Raleigh, cards dropped two out of three. The first one is a nail-biter. The second one is a blowout, and they kind of find their footing on Sunday. Um, quick synopsis of what went wrong for Louisville and what went right for Louisville against NC State this weekend. Yeah, you know, NC State's first two starters are veteran guys uh, on the mound. And, you know, working against Winchester, he was really sharp. And uh, the cards gave up two in the first, battled and battled. The desire was get into the bullpen. It was tough to do so. Once they got into it, though, they were able to take a 5-2 lead. Uh, Tate Keener came in, gave up a home run, a couple base runners, but then looked dominant to get the next three outs. And so they rolled him out for the ninth because he's the closer. And they got into a little trouble. They went to Tucker Biven, who had a sub-1 ERA, and he had some command issues and maybe a little freshman jitters on a, on a big stage for the first time. And Evan Webster inherited a bad count and gave up a two-run walk-off single. So, you know, that's another one of those games where you're a pitch, you're a swing away from, from winning it. And that game marked the fifth consecutive one-run road loss dating back to the Super Regional at Texas A&M and including the, the Notre Dame, the two games. So, you know, close only counts in what horseshoes and hand grenades. But, you know, the cards were right in it, and unfortunately the bullpen couldn't get the job done. Saturday, uh, actually, fans don't really know this, but uh, technically because it was April Fool's Day, it doesn't count. So uh, <laughs> we, we're just not worried about that game. And, uh, you know, Sunday the team really did put it together. And Carson Liggett is just – he, uh, he, by no means is he underappreciated, uh, but he is, he has just been fantastic. And he again, uh, was able to, uh, to give the cards a quality start. And really, you know, Hawks and Ferone gave the cards quality start. So if there's anything to hang your hat on, it's that our starting pitching was really good all weekend. The bats are still struggling here and there, but, you know, e even over the weekend, <laughs> I have the coach's show with Dan McDonald tonight. I kind of want to ask him if he ever thought about a charting like the baseball gods, you know, how Rick used to chart deflections and some of these other phantom stats. I feel like we need to start charting balls. We hit over 100 miles an hour that are outs because we had a game at Notre Dame that we lost. It was the Friday game. We had eight balls hit over 100 miles an hour. And in the big leagues, 95 or higher in exit velo is a, is a hard hit ball. So we had eight over 100 miles an hour and one was a hit. Like it just, it, it made you sick to your stomach. And we kind of ran into that again you know, against NC State, even yesterday, you know, Logan Beard hit a ball with the bases loaded to the wall and, uh, you know, it would have broken the game open. But we just kind of we're kind of seeking that break. And, and there's a couple guys that are slumping that have been really reliable, you know, in, in particular, Logan Beard and Isaac Humphrey. But, uh, you know, the good news is, like we said, starting pitching's good and we still got a pretty consistent lineup offensively that just a uh, few guys are struggling. I think you you answer this question more or less in that response, but yeah, you know, with Louisville dropping consecutive ACC series now, they lost uh, two out of three to Notre Dame. 
going from number two in the national rankings just a couple of weeks ago to now somewhere between like 15 and 20, you know, is there a cause for concern? I, I've seen Louisville fans, the college sports fans are notoriously just, you know, anything, any reason to jump off a cliff, they're going to go ahead and jump. So some fans have been a little bit worried. But in your estimation, too early to be concerned right now about these cars? I think it's definitely too early to be worried, but there there are definitely some some flags that have kind of popped up. You know, the second half of the season is always tougher than the first half because it's ACC play almost exclusively. But if you look at a 56-game season, you know, we're pretty much at the halfway point. We're 21-6, and six, and we're on pace to be 42-12, and 12, and that's going to get you hosting a lot of regionals. And so if the Cards can pick up their play, uh, you know, they're going to be in a little better shape. Uh, as far as ACC play goes, you know, six of the games have been on the road and three of them were one-run losses. So you get a swing or a pitch in any of those three games and all of a sudden you're six and one, you know, or I should say you're, uh, you're seven and two in league play. And so uh, we aren't. And so I'm not, we're not kidding anybody because we didn't win those one-run games. And I know Dan takes zero solace in that, but, I think Dan's track record, Roger Williams, Eric Snyder, Adam Rabel, the coaching staff, the track record speaks for itself. I think the biggest concern now is we have literally the two best teams in our division coming up with home series in Boston College this week, which sounds really foreign. Boston College has traditionally not been great. Their RPI is seven right now. And then Wake Forest has been the dominant team in in our division. Those are all at home. If we go two and four, one and five in those six games, then yeah, there's maybe a panic button that might need to be pushed. But uh, historically, the Cards have done well against Boston College, and uh, and the same against Wake Forest. Wake isn't always great away from home, so the fans are definitely going to be called upon to help out with the Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week in particular to get things going. Uh, I talk about playing historically well. You know, the Cards had won over 20 straight against Notre Dame before they lost in 2021, and they had won eight straight in Raleigh and were 10-2 and two against NC State in Raleigh. And I guess at some point those numbers are just going to kind of bend the other way. So uh, let's see how this uh, eight-game homestand goes. And when we talk again someday down the road after April 16th, I think we'll have a lot better idea of how much we need to, uh, you know, step onto the uh, ledge of the Ohio River Bridge. Yeah, it's wild seeing BC as a, a top 10 team and the second highest ranked team in the ACC just behind Virginia right now, according to some of these polls. And let's not forget, Lipscomb tomorrow, that's a revenge game for the basketball team's loss. I know that they're going to be fired up to avenge uh, the, the defeat at the hands of the Bisons from back in, in December. That's going to be a big-time big, big time game. But in all seriousness, with, this, with BC coming to town this weekend, then the Kentucky game on Tuesday, and then like you mentioned, Wake Forest, I feel like there are definitive stretches in the middle of the season where you feel like, hey, they figured it out here, and this is where we really got rolling, or maybe this is where it kind of started to fall apart. Like, could this be one of those two-week stretches where you look back in, in late May, hopefully mid-June, and you say, that's where we kind of got it going? I, I think absolutely 100%. That's a fantastic observation because of those baseball gods that we perceive as not doing us any favors right now can even things out a little bit. And, and we can, you know, if we go five and one in league play, uh, yeah, I want to beat Kentucky, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not, I'm not worried about that one. They are way up in the RPI. They're having a great year, but uh, I want to take care of conference business. If we can do that, uh, it definitely can be something that can be a, a prove a point 
two weeks for the team. And uh, you joke about the Lipscomb revenge. Louisville baseball lost to Lipscomb last year right. on March 22nd at home. So there's a, there's dual revenge. Kenny Payne will have fire in his eyes up in the stands, as will the team in the dugout. But, yeah, I think this could be a, a major turning point uh, as as far as the season goes. And I think that can go either way. You know, it's uh, you like to win home series. Uh, Boston College hasn't lost a series yet in ACC play, which is it's hard to believe. They were 19 and 34 last year and won five league games, and here they are as one of the better teams in the league. Jeez, you talked about the the one run losses this season. You talked about you know, Tate Keener getting pulled in that first game in Raleigh over the weekend. Uh, is is there? Are we still kind of trying to figure this bullpen out a little bit? I know that Louisville fans are a little bit worried. That's kind of one of their, their primary focuses. Uh, what do we think about the bullpen at this point? Is it one of those where you're just trying to throw new guys into different situations to see how maybe they react for a tournament run in a couple of months? What's going on there? Well, I think it starts with the fact that Tate had an oblique injury that didn't allow him to start the season healthy. And so that has affected how they've approached closing out games. And uh, Greg Ferrone was asked to close games early. He's now in the weekend rotation. Uh, Evan Webster has a save. Freshman Caden Campbell has two saves. Ben Wigman, the Cards really had their hopes set on as a, as a closer candidate. He was untouchable his first two outings. And now four outings more later, he has an ERA over 15. And so there have been some players that the Cards were counting on that haven't lived up to the expectations. But, you know, in, in other lights, it's tough as a bullpen arm because you have one bad outing and the ERA makes it look like you're terrible. You know, uh, Will Coger's ERA is three. He's been better than that. Uh, Tucker Biven, who walked two batters in the, in the ninth inning on Friday night, he came in with a, an 0.69 ERA, and he gave up those two runs. Now it's at 138. I mean, he's putting up incredible numbers. And the, and the staff has a 3.56 ERA, and, and so – you know, there there's certainly some concerns, but I, I think part of figuring out a bullpen is figuring out, you know, what the roles are uh, over the course of the season. And I, I think Tate Keener is entrenched in the closer spot. If you listen to the postgame on Friday, uh, Coach Mack was tying himself up in knots, taking the blame, uh, whether it be some calls earlier in the game offensively or how he handled the pen. And, and I think the biggest concern for me with the bullpen is if you go to Tate in the eighth inning, which six out saves are nothing for him. He went four innings against Notre Dame. Like, the kid can pitch. He was a Friday starter last year. But if things don't go well in a tight game in the eighth inning, then the question is, where do you go? And that's what kind of happened as we had to turn to Tucker Biven and turn to Evan Webster. And so, you know, I think maybe some of that second guessing might be, you know, let's let Biven throw the eighth. Let's let Webster throw the eighth. Uh, Riley Phillips is emerging as a bona fide arm out of the bullpen. And so, you know, it, it's, I, I love, I love what Bob Valvano says. I use it all the time. I said it last year about the team. You got to let the cake bake and baseball is a long season. You know, you're going to lose 10 games. You're going to win 10 games. It's what you do with the other 36 that matters in college baseball. And so uh, let's let the bullpen see how it works. Like you say, over these next eight games. And I think we'll have a lot better idea of what we're looking at. I did enjoy. I flipped on the the radio, grab, going to grab a late dinner on Saturday night. It was like I just so happened to hear the very end of the game. I think it was the last out, and you you were talking about how the lights had gone out in Raleigh, and you were like, and it was a very sad call, but it made me happy the way that you did it. It was it was you could just tell it was it was a very quintessential Sean Moth. 
kind of sarcastic. Uh, nothing's gone right here. Let's pretend like this didn't happen. But like you said, it's April Fool's Day. It doesn't really count. We're good. We're, we're so it's kind of like, you know, driving home from a date that just did not go right. You know, <laughs> you did dinner, you did a movie, and you got to drive her home. You're just like, let's just get this over with. Holy cow. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, you know, it, you have games. You just have games like that. Dan hasn't had many. I think that's part of the shock. And I think that's part of the knee-jerk with all of our fans on social media is, you know, since he arrived in 07, he literally has the best winning percentage of any coach in the country. So any sort of adversity, you know, we become all up in arms. And we're 21-6. and six. Like, we're a pretty good baseball team, and we're still ranked in the top 15. I know we love talking about former Louisville players that are, are doing big things in the big leagues. And how about Adam Duvall on Saturday? Uh, fourth oh. player since 1900 with four extra base hits, hits the walk-off home run against the Orioles. Remarkable performance by a former card there. It was unreal, and the timing was perfect because I got to talk about it on Saturday during the dismal effort in Raleigh. <laughs> and what's funny is I hadn't seen any of the highlights except the walk-off home run. And for as great a day as he had, I think four for five, five RBI, one uh, single short of the cycle, walk-off home run. I, I saw that the, while the, the right fielder for the Orioles did not play his double too terribly well, it bounced into the sands with a runner at first base. It cost him an RBI. No. So his day could have been even better. And I think he probably would have ended up with a triple on that play because he hit it into the corner and right. But if you told me that Adam Duvall, when he was here at Louisville, was going to be the opening day center fielder for the Boston Red Sox, I'd have told you you were nuts. Because of all the guys Dan has rolled into the outfield over the years, and it's been a ton, he never, ever put Adam Duvall in the outfield. And for him to be a gold glover, at the big league level is a real testament to the kind of athlete he is. And, man, to have guys like he, Reed Detmers, and Will Smith kind of leading the way for Cardinals forever in the big leagues, it's going to be an awesome year. Yeah, five former Cardinals made a opening day rosters. Were you surprised? I, I, always, I feel like in basketball circles we always talk about the player who we just we thought was going to be a star that maybe just didn't live up to it. I saw right before the start of the season that Corey Ray has, has called it a playing career. He's now moved on to coaching. That's one that I would have lost. I would have lost bets on. I mean, I know he was a high draft pick. He was the number five overall pick. But he just seemed to just, to use a cliche, check every box when it came to a guy that was going, that was destined for major league greatness. And it just never happened for whatever reason. As someone who saw him up close during his time here at UofL, were you equally surprised that we're already talking about Corey Ray as a coach now? Yeah, 100%. And I think if you talk to Corey, uh, there have been a lot of nagging injuries that have really hampered his career. And I think part of his desire to hang it up is he's just tired of fighting that fight because, yeah. you know, it, it can be so demoralizing in the minor leagues to put together a good month and then get hit on the hand and it just be out or not be normal or fight through the injury and play it, you know, 75 or 80% and hit 212. And then all of a sudden you get demoted and you so, you know, it, it, it's not making excuses for Corey because, you know, injuries happen to everybody. But I know that his path wasn't as flawless as he had hoped. I'm just happy that he put on a big league uniform. He played in a big league game. It uh, it was almost uh, Archibald Moonlight Grammish, uh, his time in the uh, big leagues. But you know what? As somebody that played baseball, you could probably identify with a lot of your buddies that played you know, that's the dream. It doesn't matter if you're up there just to sit on the bench. If you get to be in that big league dugout, that's the experience you crave. And so for Corey to achieve that is awesome. And I really think he has a chance to do something special as a coach because he's really patient. He's incredibly kind, incredibly gifted, very knowledgeable. And, and I think it's going to be interesting to follow his career path. Dan's built a, 
a really impressive tree of, of coaches, including two head coaches at Division One level uh, that were on the 07 World Series team, and Skyler Mead at Troy, and Chris Dominguez at, at Bellarmine. And then I think there's five other guys off of that team alone that are in coaching. And I think it's fun to add Corey Ray to that group. His uh, Eddie King Jr. is actually his cousin. He's going to be on the coaches show tonight, so I'm I'm eager to talk to Eddie about Corey. But uh, yeah, Corey was a bona fide superstar. I thought he was going to be an everyday big leaguer the day I saw him on campus. Uh, while we have you here, I know you're 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 on baseball these days solely, but women's basketball. I know you and, and Jeff Wallace had a good relationship for years. Your thoughts on the cards? Another Elite Eight run, uh, reloading for next season. They just landed a big time transfer for Cal. Like while we're talking here. Uh, mm. it, it was a a different season than most for Jeff Walls and the U of O women's team, but when they finally got it clicking, they did enough to make another regional final. It's remarkable what he's done these last few years here at U of O. Yeah, I, it, I don't think we appreciate how good a coach he is. And I know that coaches have a lot of different aspects of their talent at the college level because, you know, you're managing your own roster as a, as a GM. You are, you know, in now you're managing – the NIL money, you're managing the transfer portal, you're managing incoming freshmen, you're managing your current roster, and in addition to that, you're game planning and that. And I think there was maybe some thought that Sam Purcell's absence uh, kind of affected the team, whether he played the role as kind of a good cop on the bench or helped with some of the game planning or some of the scouting. But the bottom line with Jeff is when you get to the postseason, he is as good as there is at preparing for an opponent. And if he's a higher seed, a better seed in the first game, you know that talent is most likely going to get them to that win, and they eked it out over Drake. But if they can get past that first weekend, whoever he plays in the Sweet 16 better watch out because a week to prepare for that squad, he's going to do things that exploit weaknesses, and he's probably going to win that game. And that's it's just remarkable to me. And, and to have a team that felt just not right and then to go down to Austin and to have that performance where everybody was rewinding again, oh, here we go, big lead, third quarter, it's starting to fade, and then they just put them away. Uh, It's such a joy to watch them. And I had to laugh because we did the the coaches show right before the NCAA uh, at Parlor Downtown, and uh, Nick Curran and Coach followed up with it. And Jeff literally strolled in as the opening billboard was closing, and Nick was welcoming everybody to the show, and uh, Nick said, oh, you made it right on time. He said, yep, on, in, in the portal. And so there he was, preparing for his <laughs> NCAA weekend, and he was already portaling. So it's, uh, the work is never done, and I, I, love, I love the parallels between he and Dan because, you know, you've got uh, brilliant assistants at a high-level program that have never been head coaches, and I, they both just literally came out of the womb ready to be a head coach. And, uh, and I know Jeff can be tough to work with for a lot of people, but he's also incredibly entertaining. And if you want to be entertained at a women's game, sit behind the bench and just listen to Jeff and the way he communicates with the officials and his players. And he, he's hilarious. I mean, he, he, I, there are so many instances, it's hard to even remember them, but one of the first ones I remember is he had a kid that got fouled and she hit the shot and they waved it off and he said, I'm going to decline the foul. You know, he's just, he's, he's just his dry wit. He's really clever, and he's, uh, he, he's a lot of fun to be around. So I couldn't be happier that he and the team had the success they did, and, you know, that program's going to continue to win. You mentioned uh, Coach's Show, Dan McDonald Coach's Show, tonight, Parlor Downtown, Parlor Pizza Downtown, 133 West Liberty Street, 6 to 7. You can hear it on our sister station, 970 WGTK. What's on the docket tonight? Uh, you're going to be asking about Trump indictment. Uh, I'm assuming that's going to come up. <laughs> 
No, we, we stay away from that. I felt bad the last coach's show because I asked Dan if he knew who the most famous alumni from his high school was outside of him because I thought he would know. And I blame the high school for him not knowing, but uh, <laughs> his high school up in Port Chester was the same high school that produced Ed Sullivan. Oh, who was like a, he was like a four sports superstar. So I, I think the high school failed in not letting Dan know that that's who that was. But yeah, we'll have Coach Mack on. We'll kind of relive the week that was. We'll look ahead. We love questions on social media. Uh, the Twitter account for Louisville Baseball, Louisville BSB. I retweeted it. If you tweet at us uh, with any questions, I think Facebook has an opportunity to. We love to field questions. It's even more fun to be at the show. We've got our own back room, so you're not worried about anybody else. It's all Cards fans back there in that back room. So we'll, we'll go through some questions that first half hour, and then the, the about 6.30 to 7, we'll talk to either Eddie King Jr. or Evan Webster, and then we'll flip-flop and go with the other player for the final 15 minutes and, and get to know them a little bit and find out uh, – you know, Evan uh, was a bowler in high school. Find out what kind of bowler he still is. And Eddie King Jr. won the Little League World Series at Chicago. So we'll see what his visit to the White House is. But that's probably about as political as we'll get uh, on the show tonight. <laughs> the Dan McDonald <laughs> Coaches Show with Sean Moth tonight. Again, Parlor Downtown, 6 o'clock is when it starts. Make yourself uh, make your way down there. And if you can't, listen to it uh, on 970 WGTK. Sean, as always, man, we appreciate the time. You're the best. Well, and you deserve some praise because the UConn call – at the time, there were certainly some doubters, but uh, even if they don't win it, the fact that you uh, you threw that out there, I'm I'm duly impressed, and I think your uh, your credibility as a uh, a pundit in the college basketball world has been uh, further solidified. So congratulations on that, and in, enjoy, and at the same time, uh, rue the fact that college basketball ends tonight. One million percent skill, my friend. That's all it is. Just like the Oral Roberts <laughs> Final Four call. There it is. Uh, Sean, appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah, and no, I can't. I feel like I can't thump my chest over the UConn national title call if I don't also bring up the fact that I had Oral Roberts in the Final Four, who lost by a billion to Duke in the first round. But that's okay. I will take a break. We'll come back. More of your text at 502-414-1450. It's the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450, The Big X. Welcome back into the Monday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show. You're on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Hopefully you're on spring break and enjoying the beautiful weather. But if you're not, stuck at work and spending some time with us, we appreciate that as well. Big thanks to Sean Moth for hopping on in the last segment and talking a little Louisville baseball. I'd forgotten. I made the joke about tomorrow's game, 6 o'clock, at Jim Patterson against Lipscomb being a revenge game for the men's team losing to, uh, to, to Lipscomb in basketball this year. I'd forgotten they actually beat us in baseball last year uh, as well. So we're getting a little sip, sick of uh, Lipscomb owning the program. This, this needs to stop. We get, this is a revenge game across the board for us tomorrow. It me, It's a little personal. Cards taken on Lipscomb. Sean Moth will be on the call. And again, the Jeff Walls uh, coaches, or not Jeff Walls, Dan McDonald coaches show will be on tonight uh, from 6 to 7 on 970 WGTK at Parlor Pizza downtown. Make it down there if you can. It's a good time. Uh, they have that back room dedicated just strictly for the show. But if you can't, listen to it on 970. Uh, during the actual conversation with Jeff Wall, oh, God, keep saying, I got Jeff Walls on the brain. During the conversation with Sean Moth there, 
We had breaking news on the, the Jeff Walls front as Louisville has landed transfer guard Jada Curry from Cal. She played two seasons at Cal, started every game both years, led the squad in scoring both seasons. Uh, last year averaged 16.9 points per game. That's a big-time transfer portal addition. Uh, she'll join up with Haley Van Lith to make up what should once again be one of the better backcourts in the entire ACC. Uh, she was listed by ESPN as of last week as the fourth best player available in the transfer portal. So Jeff Walls, who has killed it in the portal in recent years, uh, continuing to do so, that's a big-time addition. And look, we won more games than Cal in men's basketball. We've established that. We weren't the worst team in the country last year. Power Conference basketball, we had four wins. Cal had three. They suck. We're a little bit better. And then on the women's side, we're taking their best players. So maybe just, I don't know, hang it up, Cal. It's over. Your athletic program needs to be shut down. We own you. Shout out to Jeff Walls, getting it done. Shout out to Kenny Payne for winning more games than Cal. And also Matt McGavick pointed this out on Twitter because I made the same joke. We also took their quarterback. Their, their starting quarterback is now going to be our starting quarterback this season. We just, it's over. Everything good about Cal, we're better than. 502-414-1450 is the Thornton sex line. We talked in the first hour uh, a lot about uh, the women's basketball national championship game yesterday and the fallout from Angel Reese going at Caitlin Clark and all the, the national talk about that. We touched a little bit on Saturday's men's Final Four games. Have not really talked that much about uh, tonight's national championship game. And then Keon Menefield, the top Louisville target, in the transfer portal. Is he leaning towards Arkansas now because of his follows on Instagram? All that good stuff. Uh, we'll take some more thoughts from you guys here at 502-414-1450 on the Thornton's text line. Texter says, people now are just trying to figure out Gary's political leanings. This guy's clearly an Alex Jones fan. That's probably somebody I worked with before. Uh, I did like walking in it was last week. The I, I, I don't, There's always a different show on before us on, on the station. Now, every now and then we'll get comments about, because look, it is, when we have sports on, that's it's one thing, but some of the stations are like, they do have a conservative lean and people are like, oh, we got to get, I'm like, I, I can't control the stations, but I, I never actually listened to it, but I did walk in the studio last week for one of the shows. <laughs> the guy was like, and my God. The raping of the word hero. And I was just like, is this what's is this what's on when I'm coming in here? It was just so over the top. I was like, what is that? It did then you have us coming on here and making just fart jokes about basketball for three hours. It's very, very different, but that's fine. Different strokes for different folks. It's a nice little break from political talk. It's a yin and a yang. It's fine. You know, we, they're swerving right, we're swerving left. Sometimes we're going straight. You never know. Um uh, Texas says, what player on our roster so far has the most game experience? against Power 5 basketball teams? Is it above 10 games? Well, I'm not sure I 100% understand the question. I mean, if we're talking about, I mean, Mike James played a lot of games against Power Conference teams last year in the ACC. J.J. Trainer as well. Are we talking about like transfer? I don't understand. I don't, sorry, sorry, I don't really understand the question there. Uh, speaking of the transfer portal, though, and guys that we would love to go after, Maybe the best player in the transfer portal just entered it. Baylor's LJ Cryer, who is, he's been a, a stalwart for them for a couple of years. Averaged 15 points, 2.1 rebounds, and 2.1 assists per game this past season. He is a guy, I mean, if you're looking at the exact fit to what I was describing earlier, if we're trying to go from four wins to being NCAA tournament-ish good, he's the type of player you need to add. He's got 
a good shot. He's a tenacious defender. He comes from a program with a solid culture. He was a big part of that culture for the last few seasons. He can handle it. He can be a solid backcourt running mate for Sky Clark. He, I mean, you don't have to teach him defense. He knows how to defend better than probably anybody on our roster right now. And he's got that instilled winning culture. I mean, you heard Kenny Payne talk about it. And I don't, I know some people roll their eyes at a lot of things that Payne said last year. One thing that I don't think you can roll your eyes at is we just are a program right now that does not know how to win. That winning DNA that had been with us for decades and decades and decades is gone. And I bought it when Charlie Strong pitched it when he first got here. I buy it as, as Kenny Payne is pitching it now. Sometimes you just, you can get close time and time again. And if you don't really believe that you're going to make the plays necessary to win a game, it's more likely than not that you're going to fall short. And we lost every game that we played last season that was decided by one possession. We lost four games by one single point. And we had opportunities to win all of those games. And it just did not happen because I think that we don't have a winning culture right now. Cryer can help change that. I mean, bringing guys back from last year's team that were productive is great. Bringing in newcomers that are freshmen or seldom used transfers is great. We still don't have anybody right now that just that knows how to win. I mean, Sky Clark is our highest profile guy coming in, and he played 13 games at Illinois last year, and the team got better after he left. Now, he was a part of a couple of big-time victories. They beat UCLA. They beat Texas. But it's not the same as knowing how to win in the NCAA tournament, knowing how to win big-time conference games in late January, mid-February. Cryer's got that. I would um, Again, I've got no idea if we would be high on his list. I've got no idea if we would get involved. But my goodness, if you can add a player right now, that's, that's one to circle. Go after that kid. Make it happen. Texter says, I thought I had seen that Menefield said he wanted to play for a coaching staff that had played in the NBA. If that's the case, we're the only one out of his list that fits that criteria. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we certainly have that going for us. We got, what, three out of, out of our four guys have played, have done that. I couldn't tell you who's exactly on Nate Oates' staff below, below him. Uh, Arkansas's assistants escaped me. But, yeah, if that's his goal, we've, we've, we've got a leg up on everybody when it comes to that. Texas, I don't want to compare UK players, but look at Dennis Evans and look at Uganda Kingsley and UK who couldn't get on the court. Do we really expect Evans to be this difference maker next year when Kingsley was a five-star rated higher than Evans and didn't play at all? Well, I mean, that's not really a fair comparison. He didn't play because he's playing behind the National Player of the Year in Oscar Sheboy. I mean, Kingsley, I think, is going to be good. It's, it certainly sounds like it. He's got, they have Aaron Bradshaw coming in as well. So, But I mean, there's a reason why he didn't play this past year. He had... Kentucky had the best big man in the entire country, or the guy that they thought was going to be the best big man in the entire country, and one of the best rebounders in the history of college basketball uh, playing in front of him. So that's not really not really fair. I mean, I, I think that Evans, I mean, Evans is a five-star for a reason. Uh, one of my friends who does NBA stuff for a living says he thinks he can be an NBA one-and-done type guy if he develops the right way this season. It's on, look, he is a prime example for why I think this year if you're not excited about this year, if you are excited about this year, whatever, like we're going to know whether or not this can work. I, I don't want to hear if we win 12 games, well, we showed progress, we just need to give him another year. If Evans looks like a guy who progresses and becomes a capable ACC big man, a good ACC big man once we get to January and February, that's a solid indication that Kenny Payne and Danny Manning have developed him. 
If he doesn't, then all of that big man whisper stuff and, and all the stuff that we heard when he was coming out of Kentucky and what he did for those players there, it kind of falls by the wayside. You lose a lot of that just reputation when you bring in a kid that's regarded by some scouting services as a five-star player with a significant amount of offensive potential and an already very polished defensive game, and he doesn't produce for you in year one and doesn't really get any better as time goes on. Like, this is... I know that right now we're young. We'll see who else we add in the transfer portal. But if Sky Clark doesn't fit the system well to, and still is turning the ball over like L. Ellis was in the first half of this past season, if Mike James doesn't look markedly better in his redshirt sophomore season, if J.J. Trainer doesn't produce, if these freshmen don't get better as the year goes on, then we're going to know. We're going to know that Kenny Payne isn't the guy. And if everybody does get better and we end up winning 21 games or 20 games or 18 games or whatever your your bar is, then awesome. Then we're good to go. Let's hit the ground running in year three. Let's keep the positive recruiting momentum going and let's make a run at being a real national player in Kenny Payne's third season. Texas says, Mike, the Louisville lip trash talk, high five. We invented all of it to promote. Well, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I think there's a... Look, Muhammad Ali is the biggest trash talker of all time, and we love him for it. No question about that. The high five, the high five is a little bit different than doing a you can't see me thing in, in somebody else's face. Um, I mean, you could, I guess you could argue that it was showing up the other team, but it's, I mean, I, I, I like a lot of the audacious behavior. I think that there's a line at some point that, that gets crossed a little bit, but like it, it's not like it's the biggest thing in the world to me. I'm not losing sleep over it. You, you can do what you want to do. I just think that, I mean, both Clark and Reese kind of annoyed me a little bit. That's There's that. There's the, it, it was more about the whining than anything else. And also, if, if Reese had just, if it had stopped after the game, then that would have been fine. But like the, just posting about it, I mean, she's made this this gigantic story. Like She, she wants it to continue to be a story. Clark, I, I thought the whining is what annoyed me more than just the, you can't see me or that you're down by 15, shut up. But it's just, it was a little... Well, a little much. Texas Angel talked about it in the post-game interview and said, that's my SEC sister, et cetera, et cetera. So, so she was. She was she was upset that Caitlin Clark disrespected the player at South Carolina by waving her off. Well, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was certainly a, I mean, she, she basically laughed in her face. Um, it, Caitlin, I mean, she, it was clearly the team's strategy to not guard that woman for South Carolina who was offensively limited, just to to drop everybody else and say, we're going to take Boston away. We're going to make you hit a 10-foot jumper if you can. We don't think that you can do anything on offense. And it worked. I mean, they were able to frustrate Alyssa Boston the entire game. They were able to force the players who they wanted to take outside shots to take outside shots. But you didn't have to, like, like everybody knew what you were doing. You didn't have to waver off and just, you know, you don't matter to me. And if if Angel Reese said that's what prompted her, then I mean that's a, a little bit of an explanation. I think that's it's still strange. She's not your teammate, but I guess SEC it just means more. Just means more. Texas says, "Did you see this big time transfer the Walls just landed? Jada Curry from Cal. Yeah, very, very, very big news. I mean, we Walls has has been a big time player in the transfer portal since it became a thing, and some of our best players." in recent years, have been portal additions. Emily Angsler, she was a good player at Syracuse who became an All-American at Louisville and a, a top-five WNBA draft pick. I, I think that this past season, you maybe didn't get quite as much from the transfers a, as you thought you were going to. And I thought that was an interesting 
part of the dynamic of this year's Louisville women's basketball team was Walt said this, but also like, like Haley Van List said the same thing going into the tournament too. She said that there was a feeling amongst some of the players that they added this year that like they were coming here because we could get them into the final four. Like just being a Louisville player meant you're going to be in the national spotlight. You're going to just have all these accolades, all this attention and it was, she, she was like, it was different than players we've added in past years who have come here with the intention of, I'm going to help you get to the Final Four. I mean, Morgan Jones had a good season. She was she ended up being our, our third leading scorer. She averaged a little bit shy of 10 points per game, but she wasn't quite the player that I think we thought she was going to be after seeing what she did at Florida State. Um, that was probably, I mean, I think she would even say herself, like probably a little bit of a disappointment. Um Kristen Carr came over from Syracuse. Um, she she actually played at Texas Tech before that. She had been, I think, kicked off the team or, or left the team last season, and she definitely helped us this season. One of the best three point shooters in the entire country. Um, like, but you're you're losing these players now, and I feel like you bring back a solid core with Olivia Cochran and Haley Van Lith, but you're losing the heart and soul of the team in Mikasa Robinson. Peyton Verholz transferred uh, in the middle of the season. You lost a couple of your your, your big-time freshmen as well. They trans- hit the transfer portal before the tournament even started. So you've got a lot of spots to fill, and they don't have a gigantic recruiting class coming in next year. They don't have a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans coming in to fill the void. So it was big for Walls to get a one of the top players available in the portal. He's got more work to do. He needs to, to fill some other roster spots now in these weeks ahead. But that was a very solid first step. I think that makes you feel more confident in Louisville's ability to once again be a player on the national scene. Texas says, I feel like I need a shower if I catch any of that conservative radio show before you. Well, it happens. Texas, I'm confused. How are we any better than last year? We traded Ellis for Clark. We still have one guard. Insert the crazy pills gif. Well, I mean, we have guards coming in besides Sky Clark. Now, you may not be excited. But Trenton Flowers considers himself a guard. He said he's going to play guard at Louisville. Mike James technically played guard last season. Uh, Karan Davis is, is absolutely a guard. So we've got guards coming in. Now, you may – are they good enough? Right now, I would say no. And, I, again, I've got no idea what we're getting in Karan Davis. Maybe he winds up being fantastic. I just don't, I don't know. Mike James, I think you know what you're getting. He's not, he doesn't handle it as well as you'd love a, a, a two guard to handle it. He's a, a guy who can get you points in the, in the lane. He shoots it well enough. I think he's a, he's a streaky shooter. I mean, we saw that there's reason why Louisville fans really wanted to get Mike James back for, for another year. Why they were adamant that he's the one player you kind of wanted to hold on to. He has limitations in the backcourt. When L got into foul trouble, you know, there was that moment. I, I can't remember what game it was down the stretch. They all, I've repressed as much of the season as I can already. But there was a one of the ga- key games late where we had a chance to win. L went out. It was not Hersey Miller's night. They weren't going to play Fabio. And we tried to let Mike James run the point, and it went horribly. I think we had like five possessions, and we turned it over on three of them. Like, he's he's not that guy that you can just hand the reins to and, and let him try to run the offense. At least he wasn't last year. Who's to say that he won't get better? But... Your point is is well taken. We need more guards. And we've got, I believe, four spots available right now. We'll still see what happens on this Churchill Abbas front. But guard is, is where you need significant help. And there's a part of me that wishes if we were going to get Sky Clark, we would have done it maybe a little bit later. 
in the game because maybe you are scaring away some players. Maybe you are, I don't know, some guys don't want to come to Louisville because they feel like Sky Clark is going to be a ball-dominant point guard. I don't know. But however you can get some guards in. I mean, if it wasn't a concern for Miami last year, they got Nigel Pack. They brought Isaiah Wong back. They did it with NIL. They had Wooga Poplar was a great freshman. Jordan Miller technically was a guard. Um, like they played four guards and they made the final four with that lineup. And and there wasn't I mean, Harlan Beverly stayed. He was a former McDonald's All American who was a guard who played there for four years. He stayed on the roster. If you could convince all those guys, whether it was through NIL or whatever, to stick around, like Louisville should be able to do the same thing. They should be able to go get more guards. If it's just all things being equal, Louisville should be able to get players. And that's it's Kenny Payne's job. Like That's what he was supposed to be able to do. We need more help in the backcourt. Go get some help in the backcourt. Texas says, say what you will about Kim Mulkey. You know she made her team see red when it came to Caitlin Clark. They definitely played into that disrespect stuff to motivate the team. Oh, there's no question that she is a master motivator and a fantastic coach. I mean, there's, I mean, she, in year two, she made LSU a team that had never been to the Final Four before um, a national champion. And they, yeah, they came out, they were revved up, they were in, they did what they, they had the mentality that they needed to have going into that game. And it was what, I think it was the way Jeff Walsh was able to motivate his team when they played Baylor back in the day. You know, you, you've got to be more physical. You've got to get in their face a little bit. You've got to make them frustrated. You've got to let them know that you're not afraid, that we are the big, bad bully in this case, even though it may not look like it physically. And Louisville was able to pull one of the best upsets in, in, in college basketball history because of that. I don't think that last yesterday was one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history. But LSU went out there believing that they were the better team even though Iowa had just beaten a team that had whomped on them during the regular season and the SEC tournament, like they just, they thought that they were, they were better. You could tell they had the swagger. Iowa didn't really. And they won by 17. Texas says the only way to judge improvement for next year's U of a basketball team is to see where they finish in the ACC standings. The non-conference schedule can be loaded with bad teams in order to inflate their win total. We will play. I mean, we'll play. I, I, the non-conference schedule is still mostly hidden at this point, but we're going to play a multi-team event in November. I think it's going to be a two-game multi. You'll play two get two good teams there. We're going to play Kentucky. I don't think that we're going to be in the first ACC SEC challenge because we finished last in the conference. I think we'll be the one team left out, which is uh, pretty embarrassing. But maybe that changes. Maybe they just want Louisville and they're they're like you know poor. I don't know who it would be. Boston College, Clemson, because you lost to us. You, you got to go. But I, I, we may have an extra game to schedule because of that. We do have to play a return game at DePaul at some point. We we pushed it back last year. I, I think they're going to have to play that game this season. I don't, I don't think they can they can keep pushing that thing back. Um, Penny Hardaway wants to play Louisville, and Kenny Payne basically said, we'll do that, but not this year uh, before last season. Like the, the non-conference schedule will be – I don't think it'll be as challenging as this past year. It may not be as challenging as some of the, the Patino years, but it's going to have a few games in there in November and December where you'll, you'll be able to see where this team stacks up. And then in ACC play, look, the, the ACC, I know we're, we do the thing where we thump our chest and talk about, you know, we've had three Final Four teams the last two years despite having the lowest amount of bids out of all the power conferences. The ACC has been down. And one of the biggest reasons why last year was so embarrassing was we weren't just the worst team in, in the ACC. We were the worst team in a historically down ACC. And the league, you assume it's going to get better. Now Miami will 
probably take a step back. Duke is going to be good next year. They, they brought Proctor back. Shire's killing on the recruiting trail. They're bringing back enough from last year to be very good. North Carolina, we don't know who they're going to add, but we know they're getting, um, they're bringing back Armando Baycott for a 17th year. Like They're going to be good. Clemson's bringing back a lot from last year. Um, NC State is going to be rebuilding a little bit. Like there should be, my point is the league might be a little bit better. There's still room for Louisville to navigate in that conference. It's not going to be the toughest ACC that we've gone up against since we joined the league. Like if we, if we rebuild this roster and if this staff is what we all want them to be, Louisville should be a top half team in the ACC next year. And if you want to be an NCAA tournament team next year, you're you sure as hell better be in the top half of the ACC because I don't think that we're going to jump from being a four or five bid league team, league conference to a eight, nine, ten bid conference again next year. Like you, you need to finish in the top seven next year to even be on the bubble. And look, I mean, Louisville, the, the league is still a little bit down. It's still a little bit vulnerable. We should be able to make kind of a move there. Texas Mike, is there any more uh, of Karan Davis than we know? I think there are more YouTube videos of me than him. He's, he's a gigantic mystery. He's a absolute mystery. There are full game videos out there. He looks, there are flashes there. I, I think it's still one of the stranger recruitments that a, a power conference program has, has pulled off in recent years. He's still not on any top junior college player list. Uh, I know he averaged a lot of points. Like the junior college team that he played for wasn't especially good. Um, it's, it's strange, but there's, I think what he's, he's Popeye Williams is his cousin as well. Like there's some relationship there. He is the cousin of John L. Smith who just played, uh, not John L. Smith, uh, John L. John L. Davis from, from Florida Atlantic who just made the run to the final four. That's about all I can tell you. Like I, there are things that I saw in his game on those, those clips that were put together that I thought were promising, but there's also some there where you're kind of like, I don't know. You're scratching your head a little bit. He, he's a gigantic mystery. Maybe he winds up being fantastic. And if he does, we'll have Danny Manning to, to credit for that. Because I mean, uh, I've been told that that was, that was kind of his deal. He was, he was the guy who said, this kid's good enough to play here. So we'll see. A lot of mystery this summer. I can't wait to see this roster come together. Can't wait to find out some of the answers to all these questions. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Keith Wynn on at the top of the hour. He's been at oh, all the open practices for Louisville football. He'll share his thoughts coming up after the break. Keep it locked right here. More than Mike Rutherford Show. On 1450, the Big X is on the way next. In the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop D-O-double-G, but I somehow, someway, keep coming up with funky-ass hits like every single day. May I kick a little something for the G's and make a few hits. All right, 5 o'clock hour here, the Monday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 and 96.1, the Big X. I uh, talked a lot of hoops today, talked to Sean Moth, a little little baseball. Now we're going to talk some Cardinal football with our guy Keith Wynn. Follow him on Twitter at Keith underscore Wynn. Read his work over at carchronicle.com. He's been out at all the open practices so far uh, and has had some really, really good reports. Keith, uh, welcome back in the show, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing well. We're, we're hanging in there today. Uh, a little, we, we, we had you call the show. Phones weren't working. That's okay. We, we can call in now, but we can't call out. It was the, It's the reverse of how it was when we started the show. It's always something here. That's fine. 
Um, Keith, Keith for, you've had three open practice reports so far that have been on Car Chronicle. Very detailed. We, we love the work there. I, I guess overall, how would you compare what you've seen from these spring practices to what we've seen uh, in the past, with whether it was Petrino or Satterfield or what have you? I know we didn't see much from Satterfield's teams during the spring, but is it, has it kind of been business as usual? Are there a little bit different wrinkles? What, what's the vibe been like? You know, it, it's a little different. You know, the staff is, is a little different, much more calm, especially on the off side of the ball. Um, you know, especially you go back to Petrino, and obviously, you know, he was more of a yeller. He had coaches that were more yellers. Uh, you know, and just coast that way. Uh, it's been interesting to see how Jeff Brom and his offensive staff really are more, you know, close close contact, really, you know, more, you know, laid back, I guess you can say, and much more of, you know, one-on-one coaching as opposed to, you know, Rod English and Steve Ellis on the other side of the ball are more staying further away from the from the action and yelling instructions and, and corrections and things like that and just a different different style. But I think it's it's all the same goal. You know, they really do um, uh, coach every single rep uh, with some kind of correction or some kind of attaboy or whatever it may be, um, which is always good to see. And it's, it's not really that that part's not really different than what we've seen. But it is kind of interesting that you see just so many of the coaches on the offensive side of the ball, and 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 none of them are really too much different. They kind of all even killed, and it's been interesting to watch that. Um, and the other thing I think more than anything is. It's more a little bit more fast paced than what I've seen from the other coaches in the past. Um, you know, it was interesting. I was reading a, 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 a profile on Lance Taylor today, who was the offensive coordinator last year, who's Western Michigan's coach now. You know, they calculated that the pace of their practice adds another two practices to the spring based on the amount of reps they get. Louisville ends their practice every day doing like a uh, fast paced, like hurry up offense, and it's just nonstop. I mean, they're going every ten seconds. They're running a new play. And you think that they're going to be able to fill in more gaps by getting more reps out there, and the offense and the defense should be able to pick up the off, pick up the new scheme a little bit faster because of that. Let's talk about the quarterback position. A lot of intrigue there, both at the top of the depth chart and then with some of the guys below. For starters, Jack Plummer, we bring him over from Cal. It's very clear that they're bringing him in for this one season to be the starting quarterback. How has he looked so far from what you've seen? You know, I, I know it sounds dumb to say this, but he just looks like a quarterback. I mean, it, it sounds so silly, but everything he does is just very easy. It just comes naturally to him, um, you know, from the standpoint of just getting everybody ready, getting everybody, you know, to the line and, and, and things like that, to how he delivers the football. Obviously, he knows his offense backwards and forwards, but, you know, even it was funny, the first day after practice, he took off his helmet. I was like, Jesus, the guy even looks literally physically like a quarterback. He's got the perfect beard and everything. But I think the, the main thing with him is that, there's that comfort level. I mean, he just he, he gets it done. He's very accurate so far. Uh, they haven't really done a lot throwing down the field. You know, there's heavy wind this past weekend. There's a little bit of wind the weekend before. But I, I do think that when we've seen him throw the ball down the field, you like what you see. He can deliver it. It's on the money. But I think that uh, the main thing that we've seen from him that's been really great is just his ability to just get the ball where it's supposed to be, you know, put it where guys can catch it and run with it. And that's what they're going to need from him is not really to, for him to be the guy to wow you and win the game for you, but to let the, the speed and the athleticism that he has around him kind of take the ball and run with it, so to speak. Uh, Pierce Clarkson, we know that he was out at the start of practice with a broken toe. Um, I, he was on the field uh, the last open practice. What's his availability? How, how has he looked? What, what's he doing right now? So he's still in, in, in one of those kind of 
sandals that you that they put you in right before you kind of get to the point where you can put a, a normal shoe on. Um, but he's on the field talking to the other quarterbacks after reps, which I at least I didn't see early on the, the first practice or even the second practice that, I, that we were able to go to. So the, what I did notice from him that I really liked is that he was in Jack Clemmer's ear over and over again, you know, while they were doing some scrimmage stuff and Jack was off the field or, or behind the, the, the plays, you know, Pierce Clarkson's right next to him. And, and, you know, whether he's asking questions, looking for pointers, you know, things like that, I, I don't care. The fact that he's just out there getting to be able to soak up some of the offense is, I think, really important because once he gets to the point where he can actually practice, you don't want him to be miles behind everyone else. You want him to be able to get in there and actually, you know, pick up the offense well, show what he can do, because during the summer and the fall, they're really going to be pushing these guys to see who is going to be the guy to back up Jack Plummer. And if Pierce, Pierce Carson, you know, has any chance of being that guy, he's got to get some reps in during the spring where he at least gets some understanding of the offense or he's going to be well behind everyone else when the fall hits. We, we still have on, on the roster as well Evan Conley, who you know, was the backup in 2019, um, Brock Doman, who stepped up and was the backup last the last two years, I guess, and, and won some meaningful games last season, and Caleb Johnson, who I think we're still pretty sure exists, uh, despite not seeing him at all last year. <laughs> Out of those three guys, what have you seen? It sounds like it's been a little bit up and down. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to describe it. They've been up and down, but I do think they've improved. I think that that first practice, I mean, they're just, this is their first time you know, out there really running this new offense and this new scheme. And this, this third practice, you can see that everyone is, seems, seems to be a little bit better uh, from a standpoint of putting the ball where it needs to be and, and anticipating things. Because the first practice, there was no anticipation. Every throw was late, um, and you could just see that they're overthinking it. They don't, they're not comfortable. Um, Caleb Johnson didn't get out there much from what I saw this, this past weekend. Uh, which was a little disappointing because I thought that he was the most consistent guy in the first two practices. Um, but he had struggled with throwing the ball down the field, under-throwing guys in, in, in practice two. This last practice, at, at one point, they really did only run the first three guys and Caleb stayed on the side. So uh, I'm not sure if that's anything to read into in the middle of spring practice. Um, but, you know, something that I was hoping to see maybe Caleb move up that list because I do think that he has the biggest upside. I think he showed pretty well what he can do, but I think he just needs time and, and reps. And, you know, with them having so many guys still in the running for that second spot, uh, once you get to the point where you're not moving up that, that, that list, uh, your reps just start to dwindle more and more, and it's hard for you to really develop as a passer. Were you? I mean, I, I was surprised that Evan Conley hung around. I mean, I, I, he came here with Scott Satterfield after being committed to App State. It seemed like he kind of was – he wants to be a coach. That was sort of the process. I, I just sort of assumed that he would go to Cincinnati with Satterfield and the whole staff when he, when he took them with him. Um, it's a little surprising to me to see – I'm glad he's here. He was, he's been a great leader the last couple of years. But I was surprised to see Evan Conley hang around for one more season with the Cards. I'm a little surprised, but I guess my mindset is, is two things. I do think the leadership thing is, a, is, is underrated almost. I think he's a very big-time, you know – raw rock guy but i think he has a really good relationship with more than just the football program but just U of L as a whole but i do think the other thing if you're in his shoes and you've been with scott satterfield for what four years now uh and you can now learn from jeff brom and brian brom i mean and if you want to be a coach you've got a kind of built-in situation where they're paying you to learn from two different guys or or paying your way to, to learn from two different guys I think that if I were in the shoes, at least that would be my thinking is that, hey, if they're going to keep me here and they're, they're willing to let me stick around, I can learn a new offense, learn from some new coaching, 
and then I'm sure he'll still have a great relationship with 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 uh, Scott Satterfield and the staff as well. Talking to Cardinal football here with Keith Wynn. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Keith underscore Wynn. Read his practice reports over at CardChronicle.com. The wide receivers. I know that Jeff Brom, I guess it was yesterday, spoke pretty highly of, of Kevin Coleman. The transfers are getting a lot of attention. Amari Huggins-Bruce is back. How has that group looked as a unit so far? Is there that breakout potential uh, that we didn't really see enough of last season in the passing game? Yeah, absolutely. I think Jamari Thrash is everything I, I kind of expected him to be. Um, looking for him to be maybe a little bit more dominant in practice sometimes but you know he has been going up against Jarvis Bradley who's looked very good to me in practice as well but I think that you know he has the total package because he has a little bit more size at like 6-1 and I mean he's just got unbelievable burst and and speed um you know you pair him with a guy like Kevin Coleman in the slot and Amari Huggins Bruce in the opposite slot and right there alone you've already got a little bit more firepower than we've seen from Louisville's offense uh in a while but then I think what, where they really did well is they brought in some other guys that can complement those guys and probably give them a more well-rounded offense. You know, I think the Louisville's passing game has been good enough over the last few years. And even when they had two really good receivers, there were still moments when it's like, man, they, they really had to rely on – they had to focus on those two guys. They really have needed another guy or two that you can really feel comfortable getting the ball to maybe seven or eight times in the game and, and still be fine. And, and Jeff was able to do that at Purdue really well, and I think he can bring that with the group of guys he brought in. Uh, Jimmy Callaway is the number, number three receiver now on the opposite side of, of Thrash, and then you have some guys that I think behind them that have shown that they can actually provide some depth. I mean, William Fowles has been the best freshman, uh, at least in my eye so far. You know, he's a guy that should be able to come in and get reps. Chris Bell is injured. He'll be able to come back, and he'll probably compete for that other spot as well. We've seen, you know, Bell flash a little bit. If those guys, if he can take a step, step forward, if Mario Huggins-Bruce can round out his game and be healthy again, you know, they have just more options and, a, and more depth, a little bit more comfort of who you have behind your top guys, and that should help the passing game really open up a lot better this year. It's, it's really hard to look at running backs in practices when the drills aren't, you know, full team, full speed. Um, but we know Maurice Turner, we know Jawar Jordan, we know we have some uh, newcomers. How has that unit looked so far, and who seems to be the standout? You know, they, they've kind of they've kind of mixed those guys are in a little bit. Isaac Rendos is, is in from uh, Wisconsin. Uh, he was a backup running back for them, a guy that that has really good open field speed. Um, a little bit, you know, he's not a, he's not a really fluid guy like we've seen from a Jawar Jordan who kind of make people miss and has a little wiggle, um, but. When he gets an open field, he's going to take off on you, and, and, and they, you know, speed is always what you need, and he also has more size at about 220, 225 pounds. They've mixed those guys around a little bit. They've shown, uh, you know, what we saw. I don't think there's anything, you know, it is very hard to really get a feel, but I think one thing that's been good about seeing a guy like Maurice Turner bulked up a little bit, you know, I think he'll have a little bit more power to his game to go with his speed. And then, you know, Jawar Jordan and, and, and those guys in general – with them being able to really break away in the open field, the screen game that Jeff Brom has brought, I mean, every practice they go through a segment of just working on screens, and it is unbelievable to me. I mean, it's just, it's just nonstop. It's coming from every angle, different guys, different running backs, you know, different blocking. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's much more complex than just a screen right, screen left, which most schools kind of have. You know, you don't have a lot of different stuff. He's worked in a lot of different things to quick screens to your slot guy, 
you know, screens to your outside receivers, running backs, you know, motioning and things like that and going on the screens. And then, and then last practice they threw, they threw in a double reverse flea flicker that went into a screen to Jawar Jordan on the left side of the field. I'm just sitting here watching it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know how to keep up with all this stuff. So <laughs> I think they've just, he just has a little bit more uh, imagination of how to use those running backs. And I think because he has a, the depth that he has, I think he'll be able to use those guys in different ways, which is always exciting. I know the secondary is a little bit banged up right now. A couple of guys that we think have the chance to be stars this season uh, have been uh, held out because of injuries. But as a unit overall, I think we, we added a lot of guys from the portal, bulked up there. We had some big departures after last season. How has that unit looked thus far in practice? They look pretty good. I think MJ Griffin is a guy that I think uh, the fans are, are really going to be excited when he gets on the field and shows you know, a little bit more consistency of last year. You know, obviously he didn't become a starter until midway through the year, and we saw what he could do, uh, but I think now he's going to just take that step forward. I think he's got the potential of being an all-ACC type of player, um, which is really exciting because they've, they've done some new things or some things that I didn't really see when I watched Purdue's defense when, when the hires were made and the staff, staff was announced. They've been blitzing the corners a little bit, blitzing the safeties, um, a little bit more imaginative, I guess you can say, than I than I expected, and maybe that's you know in part because they have a little bit more talent. I, I'm not really sure, but um, you know it was really exciting to see that he's played in a way in practice where you want to see your veterans play, where you don't they they don't make mistakes, they're making the big plays, but it just comes easy, right? And you know Jarvis Brownlee has played like a guy who's 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 a veteran corner now. You know, really trying to shut guys down, really being aggressive out there, being loud, being hyped up. Um, and then, you know, because they're banged up, you're missing guys like, uh, like Quincy Riley, who's been working in drills, but not working during the live scrimmages and things like that. So I don't think his injury is, is, you know, to a, you know, a, a big injury, but I do think that he has something that's nagging that they want to keep him out. Josh Minkins is also out as well. So the guys that have replaced them have done well, but, you know, for the guys that aren't the, the guys we know much about, you kind of still want to see them take that step of showing you a little bit more. And hopefully as spring goes on, these guys are still learning the defense. Hopefully it starts to catch on. And maybe by the spring game, we see somebody make a play or two. One of the big mysteries for this season, we were all so excited about Jermaine Lole. You were, we were on air together when we found out that Lole (laughs) had committed a little, it was a celebration. And then we really don't get to see him at all last season before he gets hurt. There was questions about whether or not he was going to stick around. He is a member of the team. Uh, still, what does he look like? How active is he? I mean, this is a guy that I think we should still be pretty excited for next season, assuming that he's going to be 100% healthy. Oh, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, the defensive line as a whole has been has been really good to see, but Lole, along with Destel, Jared Dawson, and Tafit Thomas, along with R- Ramon Perrier as well, that's your core defensive tackle group, defensive tackle and nose tackle. One thing that I've really loved to see about Lole is they've moved him in nose. They've moved him to the defensive tackle, which is a three technique. He's played every position on the defensive line from his time at Arizona State to now. And he brings that – we talked about the versatility when he got here, but, yeah, we never got to see it. You know, he might have been able to go and play defensive end on third downs and things like that. We never got to see any of that potential. Well, now they're, they're able to do that a little bit and move those guys around. And Lole's looked good. You know, I don't think he's a – He's not a practice guy. I can tell you that much for sure. You know, he's not going to wow you with his with an unbelievable effort, but he'll wow you with the fact that he's just going to beat the guy in front of him a lot. So he's really done well there. Uh, he was he was 
a little bit banged up on, on Saturday. I think he was jogging on the side. You know, I've had to see, you know, uh, coaches kind of get on him about hustling, you know, from drill to drill. Stuff that's not really super, you know, crazy. But when you see him out there going against the offensive line, he's, he's doing what you want him to want to see him do. And the fact that they have that depth around them, I think that's going to help from a standpoint of keeping them healthier, but also keeping that entire group, you know, fresh throughout the game. And, and we've talked about that for years, you know, when Scott's, during Scott's side of those 10 years, building depth to the point where guys can lower their steps, be fresh, late in the games. You know, we saw that two years ago where they couldn't hold leads because the defense was tired. Being able to have these guys out there and the depth they have with Tell, especially, Des Tell's been the best defensive lineman that I've seen so far. I think he's done really well. But then you throw in guys on the end like Ashton Gelati, Popeye Williams, uh, Stephen Heron. That's a lot of guys that you have options with with this new scheme that fit what they do. And that's important because it's not going to be a layo. You know, there's not going to be a big change where we don't have the guys to play this defense. They were able to go. Stephen Heron played the exact same scheme at, at Stanford. So he's just coming in and being able to walk right into a system that he already knows. So there's some real excitement, at least on my part, with the defensive line. Because Ron English's defense is built completely on how well the defensive line plays. And if they don't play well, the whole defense is going to play well. Talking Cardinal football here with Keith Wynn on uh, the Monday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 The Big X. Now, we had this text question on the text line. And I, I, I said I would ask it because somebody asked this. When Keith is on, will you ask him why he hates Brom and his scheme so much? Confirm or deny, Keith, you hate Brom <laughs> and you hate the scheme. As I, and it's, it's funny because, I mean, you know, I'm not much of a homer. I'm just, I just watch what I watch and then follow the data that I see. And, you know, the thing about Jeff Brom is that part of my, my I guess, my concern is I do think that maybe there's going to be a little bit of an over overhype on what his offense can do here. And I'm basing that on what happened at Purdue because Purdue's offense was not statistically – better than Louisville's offense. And we all know that there were questions with Louisville's offense the entire time Scott Satterfield was here. So it's really just, I wonder if he can do what he did at Western Kentucky, where his offense was very balanced and they really lit up the scoreboard, which is what we keep hearing, right? You know, he's going to light up the scoreboard. I hope that that happens, and it's definitely possible that it does. I just can't base that off of what I've seen by watching Purdue's offense for the last five years or so. So, you know, I, I do think that one thing that, that Brom has here that maybe will be helpful is the offensive line is, is coming from a run-blocking scheme, and he's got some, 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 some guys that can, you know, translate that really well. And I think the running backs in general are better. But my, my concern, and based on what I've seen, is that they didn't run the ball very well at Purdue, and I think, I think that really kind of hurt their offense. If, if they don't run the ball well here, I think that there's going to be a lot of a letdown because we're kind of getting sold on the idea that Purdue's offense was just the best in the world, and they just they weren't. That's just a fact. I don't. I don't. I'm not. It's not me hating the guys. Just that it's just a fact that it wasn't that good. I mean, sorry, I, they didn't finish in the top 50 in scoring very often, and you know that's what Louisville fans I think are looking for. And I just worry that that's going to be a disappointment, and people are going to be let down. That's it. He hates Jeff Brown, folks. You heard it here first. He hates him. Yeah. He wants him to fail. He hates the scheme. He's predicting a two-win season in year one. That's Keith Wynn. That's who he is. That's what he does. <laughs> uh, Keith, we, we've talked about a lot about uh, some of the newcomers, the transfers that are, are already seeing the field. As far as the, the 2023 recruiting class, we had a lot of guys that enrolled early, a uh, healthy chunk of that class enrolled early. Is, is anyone standing out there as far as the true freshmen are concerned? 
Yeah, I've, I've been really, I've been, I've been excited about the fact that the translation of kind of the level of recruit that they got to where you see on the field. Um, you know, I talked about William Fowles has been a guy that I think that could end up really winning that starting job as a freshman. I, I, I you know, after a couple of practices, that was pretty obvious. Um, Katoris Hicks is very fast. You know, you look at a guy like Tutu Atwell, you know, small South Florida kid, and you, you know, you, you, you always make those kind of comparisons. He's got a similar frame, and he's also got the similar quickness. I just don't know if he has that, you know, blast-off speed that Tutu had, but he's looked pretty good as well. Luke Burgess has been the backup left tackle since the first practice, and he was the backup left tackle on Saturday. He looks better than he did on day one, which is what you always want to see is you want to see that improvement from practice to practice. He went from getting yelled at and missing, you know, blitzers to, to picking up guys off the edge. Um, I saw Madden Sanger this week. I hadn't seen him previously. Uh, he looked apart, stood, stood his ground on a run play that I saw that I thought was really impressive. Stan Quan Clark has gone from the fourth group to the second group. Uh, another thing, obviously, that's that's the coaches seeing that they want you know they want him getting more reps, uh, and he's looked very good in that in that role. Um, you know, so I, I think those guys are the, really the guys that stand out to me. Um, Adonijah Green, uh, he's been out there. He looks like he's bulked up a little bit, which is a huge question mark for for a guy that's six six, two ten or two fifteen or whatever. He looks a little bit bigger. Um, he's holding his ground for, for a guy that's that small. So you're seeing more – you're not seeing those guys look like deer in headlights, which is a very big positive. I mean, we have guys out there in their second year that just look lost, you know, and really just are, are thinking, you know, way more than they're just playing and reacting. These freshmen are out there just getting it done. They're chasing down the ball. They're doing what they're supposed to do, and they look really comfortable doing it. So I think there's definitely a possibility that we see a lot of those guys see the field this fall as opposed to being either just special teams guys or redshirting for their first year. There's been a lot of talk this offseason, really since ever ever since Jeff got hired, about increasing season ticket sales, renewed enthusiasm about the program. People seem to be very excited about the season ahead. What's the attendance been like for these uh, for these open practices? Obviously, we'll have, we'll have spring game coming up here in a few weeks. We'll get a better indication then. But how well attended has it been besides people that are just, you know, diehard football nerds like yourself? I think it's been good. I mean, I've seen, you know, whether it be, you know, people bringing their kids out and things like that. The weather hasn't been all that cooperative, which, which is unfortunate. Hopefully it warms up a little bit. But, you know, I've been going to these for years. Um, you know, obviously I'm, I am a football junkie, but also I do it because I like to do the reports and whatnot. And it's better than I've seen in the past. Um, it took me a while to find a parking spot this Saturday. Um, you know, it's been really good to see not only are people there, but you can see the engagement when the play is happening and people are reacting to it. It's, you know, people are paying attention. Um, I thought one of my favorite things is the random story, but after the first practice and after Jeff Brown met with the media, I was actually down on the field, which is I think the second time I've ever been on the field as like a, you know, quote unquote media member. And, um, Jeff had walked away, and I thought it was really cool. Somebody yelled from the stands, yelled his name. Jeff walked over to him, and the guy was just asked him, do you remember me from this, that, and the other? And I thought that was such a unique thing for a guy like Jeff Brown that people were just from the stands just like, hey, do you remember me from 40 years ago? <laughs> and, and he goes he goes over, he walks over to him, shakes his hand. It's like, and, you know, it's kind of – I didn't hear every part of the conversation. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember you from this, that, and the other. I was like, that has to be really cool, but also – Man, that would kind of suck that you can't go anywhere without somebody, <laughs> you know, ask you. But I thought that was a really unique thing from a fan standpoint to have some access to the players, have some access to the coaches. I think it's something that is going to be worthwhile.
from from having Jeff here and having those guys be so personable, having, you know, a coaching staff that is made up of Louisville guys in some way, shape, or form. They're all connected to Louisville in some way. I think that's just a unique aspect that I think the fans can really uh, kind of delve into. And I, I thought it was really cool that not only is that that moment, but Jeff was willing to walk over. He could have completely ignored that guy, but he took the time to walk, you know, 50 yards over the guy to talk to him. Well. Maybe you'll stop hating him one day. Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe you'll get over it and see the light. Uh, he is Keith Wood. Keith, always appreciate the time, man. We'll keep reading your stuff over at Car Chronicle and keep following your stuff on Twitter at Keith underscore Wynn. Always appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Keith Wynn, he's the best. Uh, we love his football reports. Good stuff there from spring practice. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little national championship game tonight and a couple of your texts on uh, Thornton's text line at 502-414-1450. Keep it locked right here. More weather for two next. Here are the big X. Can't already wait. Great movie. Great finish. That's all I can think of when I hear this song. Yes. Hey, I wonder tonight on the uh, CBS broadcast Uh if uh, Jim Nance, if he will sing uh, uh, One Moment in Time since this is his last time calling. I I really want him. It is the last Final Four game with Jim Nance. Um, I mean, he's acted like he's dying this whole time. Like, you're still doing the Masters. You still do that. You're you're fine. Like, you're not going. We're losing you for the Final Four. (laughs) I really want him to make this whole thing about him. Like I, I want, I want his. You know, he used to do the signature kind of corny calls at the end of games. Right. I want him to be like the last dance with Nance ends with <laughs> UConn winning the national. Like he's, you know, he's just the last dance with Nance, the Aztec. Like just make it, make it all about Jim. Oh, I'll, I'll bet he. I'll bet he'll say that's great. You know he wants to. last dance with Nance. You know he wants to. I mean, the, the, this is a man who gives his tie to the player that he thinks best embodies the national championship spirit after every national title game. I mean, we like, so he gave it to Peyton Siva after Louisville won it in 2013. And I remember like, I finally, I was like, we got to find out if Peyton still has this thing. And he says, yes, like he, he kept the tie. Well, I, sure. Cause I can only imagine like what 50% of the people, players who've gotten this have been like, what, what, what the hell is that? Some of them probably don't even know who Jim Nance is like, and they're like this, this man who's clearly a media member is giving me his necktie after the biggest moment of my life so far, this seems silly, but anybody that follows sports though has to know Jim Nance. Oh yeah, of course. You know, hello friends. You know who's going to replace him? Kevin Harlan. I heard it was going to be uh, Ian Eagle. Oh, you're right. It is Ian Eagle. That's yeah. Right. I wanted to be Kevin Harlan. So did I. Kevin Harlan's one of my favorites. He's the man. But Ian Eagle will be taking over. I think we're still going to get Bill Raftery yeah. on uh, in the commentary. Grant Hill, I could take or leave. Whatever. But Nance. Going away, it will. I mean, like I've never, I've always kind of made fun of Jim Nance. One of the first viral posts that I ever wrote back in the day, I was in college, was just like a list of Jim Nance quotes, like the the, the most corny liners of all time, like where he was like, <laughs> there was one where it was like, um, you know, he, I guess his first signature call was the, there it is, a win for the ages when Tiger Woods won the Masters in '97. But one of my favorites of all time was like, I can't remember the golfer's name. It was like, yeah, you know, it's it like Davis Love the Third or something. 
And he was like, last night, he said he relaxed by watching a movie called Snakes on a Plane. Now he's worried about a tiger on the course. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, but he, I mean, he would have those all the time. The, the one in 99 was, you know, just when you think you can't, you can. And UConn has won the national title. Like, you know, those were, those were always great. And then he just, he's been, he's been kind of, you know, mailing it in the last few years. He hasn't been doing the corny line. He didn't do it for us when we won, which made me so disappointed. He was just like, the Louisville completes the emotional journey to the national champion. He needs to just go full hokey tonight. Just go full, just cornball. Just, just do it up. This is your last one. Make it about you. Get corny. Be but, great. But now he's going to continue the Masters. He'll, I think I think this is the only job that he's giving up. Like I think yeah. he's still doing golf. I think he's still doing NFL stuff. I think he's just walking away from the Final Four. I've got an old VCR tape from the uh, late 80s that has, um, this is back when Channel 11 had uh, CBS, and it has uh, Nance on there with uh, Billy Packer. Yeah. And uh, I think Nance had some hair transplants there along the way. <laughs> That's probably a safe bet. He, I mean, as much as I kind of, because Billy Packer was the same way. I didn't did not care for Billy Packer. Uh, when he left, I wasn't really that concerned. Now, he did pass away recently, and I, I, yeah. I, I felt terrible about that. But when Nance, it's a little bit different. Like, I've made fun of him. He doesn't bother me quite as much as Packer. Like, it will be it will be different not having him. He's basically done the Final Four every year that I've been following college basketball. And uh, that's hearing his voice go away will be – you know that selfishly, because he played golf at Houston. He's from Houston. He wanted Houston to win it all this year. And I, I know he was just devastated. Like, this is the, the last Final Four he gets is kind of like – at least to the American public's eyes, just sort of a whatever national title game. You know, San Diego yeah. State versus UConn, four and five seed. Like I'm sure he's just furious that it's not Duke Houston for all the marbles. Man, Biggest I, call of all time. I, I'm so old I can remember when the Final Four was on NBC and Dick Enberg was doing the call. <laughs> remember him? Of course. I love Dick <laughs> he Enberg. Was a he was great. Yeah, he was a great. He was a great. We did have I mentioned LJ Cryer earlier in the in the show as entered the transfer portal as the star Baylor guard. Uh, we had even bigger portal news during the commercial break there. Max Asmus of Oral Roberts, who was the nation's leading scorer, uh, I think three years ago, has been in the top 10 in scoring in the last each of the last three seasons, has announced that he will play his final year of, of college, college basketball somewhere else uh, other than Oral Roberts. He's in the portal. Um, man, again, not sure that Louisville has interest, not sure that Louisville, I mean, everyone's going to have interest in him. He's a 25-point-per-game scorer. He can light it up. He's a diminutive guard. I do wonder, I mean, my, I've got no idea if there's been contact here, if there's going to be contact here, but my initial thought is he seems like a perfect fit for Kansas State. They're losing Marquise Noel, who is a diminutive guard, small like Ace Smith, who was a superstar this past year. He, he seemed like Ace Smith is the guy you can plug in there, and he can fill that void. Uh, that seems like a, a no-brainer fit. I'm sure Jerome Tang will be in contact. But, I mean, the, the transfer portal is just Oklahoma forward Jalen Hill is entering the portal. He's a all-Big 12 honorable mention. Um, the kid from R.J. Melendez from Illinois. is entering the, This has all happened in the last hour that we've been talking. And it's why, you know, we had people, when we were breaking down the Keon Menafield stuff earlier, kind of freaking out a little bit about not getting players. And this is happening again. We're swinging and missing. The portal's only going to get bigger. We're still, I, I mean, a lot of these teams have just had their season's end a week or two ago. Players are weighing their decisions. Uh, they're not like us. They haven't been done for a full month, unfortunately. And we're going to keep seeing some big names enter the portal. You're going to have ample opportunity, if you're Kenny Payne, 
to bolster this roster significantly by going out and getting players in the portal. It may not have to be the, the Max Aces of the world, but you can take a Tier 2 guy. He's going to help you significantly, and he's got to do that because right now the roster is, is young, it's talented, but it's young, and young teams aren't winning at a high level in college basketball anymore. You need to get some experience. You need to have some guys that have won at a high level in the sport for a couple of years, and you're going to have you got plenty of opportunities. Go out and get some of them. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about the national title game coming up here in, in just a couple of minutes. I do want to go ahead and clean up the the text line if you guys have texted in. 502-414-1450 if you have thoughts, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have concerns. We're taking all of those things right now. I, I spent a little bit of the break diving into the Keon uh, Menafield Instagram theory that he's following a bunch of Arkansas guys and is not following Louisville guys, and that's clearly an indication that he's going to go to Arkansas. Um, so I did the research, went in there, scrolled through it. He is definitely following a healthy amount of Arkansas players. Now, most of them are, are high-profile blue-check guys, the guys that are going to be going, the Nick Smiths of the world, that are going to be going into the draft. It was concerning to me that he followed Devo Davis as well, a guy who's not an NBA draft prospect and who's kind of Mr. Arkansas. Um, he follows Donovan Mitchell. That's good for us. I also got excited for a brief moment when I saw that he followed Devin Ree, and then I remembered that that Devin Ree has transferred from Louisville or is in the transfer portal. So um, if Instagram is to believed, if recent followers are to be believed, he's following, I think I counted like four or five Arkansas, current Arkansas players or guys that are going to leave Arkansas uh, this season for the draft. And some of that may be, I mean, he's following the three freshmen that were all in his class. I mean, he was he probably played AAU with them. Um, probably was in all-star games with them. He probably just has a personal relationship with them. So I'm choosing to hold out a little bit of hope that maybe this is not quite the smoking gun that, that we think it is. 502-414-1450 is the Thornton's text line. We'll take some text here. Texas says, is a core of four definitely coming back? I have not heard anything on the Emmanuel core of four front. I think the assumption going into the offseason was that he would definitely be back. Um, he's on Instagram. He is. I think he's posted a couple of things about Louisville. He is... I'd, I'd be surprised if he entered the portal. I, I think that he's going to come back, but nothing definitive there. I mean, we we technically haven't heard anything definitive from any of the players about coming back. Trainers posted videos. Mike James has posted videos. Um, but we have not gotten an official announcement from anybody saying that, that they're coming back. I did see that they, the, um, I think it's the rivals of the 24-7 site for North Carolina, said that there is legitimate mutual interest between UNC and Jalen Withers, which is interesting. Um, I don't know if he'll go there, but if he goes to, to North Carolina and winds up being like first team all ACC, I don't know if I'll be able to watch college basketball anymore. That may be it for me. I may have to just, if he realizes that potential under Hubert Davis and becomes just a stud in Chapel Hill at our expense, I'm going to have a hard time dealing with that. Texas, do you think we'll get that WKU guard? I think he'd be a great addition, solid talent, loves L and isn't too tall. We need guards like him. That has kind of ebbed and flowed. I think I talked about it last week. When I mean, when West Virginia was still playing in the CUSA tournament, there were family members of Davion McKnight reaching out and saying, he's going to Louisville. Whenever the season ends, he's going to the portal. He's going to Louisville. And the season ended, and we didn't hear anything for like a week and a half, and then he entered the portal, and a lot of people just assumed he was going to go to Louisville. And then Louisville didn't contact him for a while. They have contacted him since. Now, my understanding is that it's it's... It doesn't seem nearly as likely as it did a month ago. I think there's still a possibility, but it sounds like he's leaning towards going somewhere else and that the feeling may be mutual. Um, 
if I had to guess, I don't think he's coming to Louisville, which I don't like. I mean, I, I, I like his game. I'd like to see him be a Cardinal. I think he could help the culture, kind of like we were talking about with um, Cryer from Baylor. I think he's got, it, 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 he's got winning DNA, even though he hadn't won much at Western, but he, he, he's a dog. He killed us this past year, um, but I don't think he's coming here. We'll see. Texas, I would go cheer for UK if we ever brought Beard or Mulkey in as our coach for the men's or women's team. Mulkey and Beard, yeah, I, I'm. Beard is maybe. I, we'll see what happens with him moving forward. I, I think it's strange that he is has been hired so quickly, but I don't know. Maybe there's more to that. I don't know. I, who knows? Mulkey, I, I'd have a really hard time with for sure. It would be. Like, I'm, I'm imagining myself cheering for Kim Mulkey, wearing ridiculous red and black stuff on the sidelines, and I'm throwing up my mouth just a little bit right now, just, th- just thinking about it. I don't think I could do it. If Jeff ever leaves, God forbid, we can't go that route. We can't. We can't. There's, I, I want to win national championships in every sport, but there's a limit. I almost had to cross that limit with the, the Bruce Pearl stuff. Like, Bruce Pearl was never coming here. I told you that from day one. He was just trying to get a raise. And, but people who were like, I want Pearl. And I was like, oh. Just imagining myself having to cheer for this guy would would have been awfully tough. I guess I'd do it. I mean, I, I'm 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 Louisville to till I die, I'm Louisville to the core. But it would be it'd be very tough. Texas will Louisville men's basketball improve in vertical jumping next season? If not, you got to think Doctor Pedway's job is going to be on the hot seat. Wasn't it horizontal jumping? I can't even. I think I think he was like the horizontal coach. I don't know. that when we found out what he did. That was a I'm I'm sure he's very qualified. But that was an interesting day on the radio. Texas, oh, this is a KRC text. Plummy Bro One says, TJ, did you and Johnny get in a lot of fights growing up during childhood? We're just now getting to the point. So, Gary, we have a three-year-old daughter, Virginia. John is almost one and a half. He's 17 months now. And he's just now getting to the point where he'll, like, knowingly antagonize his sister. Like, last night, he's, kinda, he's like, looking at me. He's giving me, like, the side eye. And then he's just kind of, like, pulling her hair. Like he's, he just wants her. And, you know, it's hard because we're in that position where, you know, Virginia, like he's hitting you. You can't hit him back. Like when you push him, it's going to hurt him way more than it's going to hurt you. But there's going to come a time where John's going to have to figure out, like, you know, you're kind of on your own a little bit here. Like she's going to be bigger than you for a while. You'll get bigger than her eventually. But when she's like, you know, when she's five and you're three, you have to back off a little bit. She's still going to be able to take you down. But we're we're definitely getting to that point where they're bickering a little bit. I also saw, speaking of KRC, my boy, uh, Nick Roush was, was he wrote a big thing about how his son had just turned three, and there's you know the terrible twos was not a big thing. He loves seeing, it. and I'm like, it's not the twos that you need to worry about. Judging from my experience and from what my mom tells me, who works at preschool for 40 years, the terrible twos it got a name because it's alliterative and people like saying it. The threes is where the problems come. The threes, Virginia was she went from the sweetest. She's still sweet like 80 percent of the time, but she went from like the sweetest girl in the world all the time. Like she will say the meanest things if she's too tired or if she gets a little bit upset. I mean, she's, she, yeah, I don't like daddy anymore. I wish I'd lived by myself. Like she's three. I thought I had time away from this and it, it, it definitely goes away. But three to me, way worse than two. So Roush, get ready for that. Gary, did you have siblings that you fought with growing up? Did I have what now? Did you have siblings that you fought with growing up? Yeah, I've got a brother that's three years older than me. Oh, he used bad. to beat the crap out of me all the time. <laughs> that's, so my... I've got a scar from where he pushed me, pushed me through a window. <laughs> my so I had two older brothers, but they were so much older than I was. 
Like Paul is Paul and I have the same birthday. He's 15 years exactly older than I am, and Oliver is like 12 years older than I am. So there was such an age difference that we I never had like I think Oliver like I remember him like tackling me one time, and it was when I was like 10, and he was like 22. But but like there was there was not it was never like it was more me and my little sister, and she very much she would do the same thing where it was like she would just kind of like poke the bear, poke the bear, poke the bear, and every now and then I was like, all right, I'm here, dead leg, it's coming, boom. Your thigh's asleep. I'm sorry. Well, my brother told me one time, he says, you know, I wouldn't bother you as much if you would start defending yourself. Oh. That was, that was dumb because whenever <laughs> I would defend myself, he say, would beat me even worse. He's just looking for justification. But you know, I'd do it all over again. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> Not if I, were I was. I was so glad when I finally got a room by myself when I was... 13 years old, man. Oh. Yeah, that's a, that's a good age to get a room by yourself. That would be, teenage boys in rooms together, just it's not a good idea. Texas Max Aspis in the portal. I can't imagine the balancing act that coaches have to do with being aggressive at going after guys, but also not too aggressive if someone like Aspis becomes available. I guess that's why they get paid millions, but damn. Oh, it's an impossible task. I mean, if you have uh, – imagine that you had – and this hasn't happened, but let's say you'd gone out and gotten Caleb Love. And great. You've got a high volume scoring guard. He was certainly feast or famine at UNC, but he's a big time name. He can probably help you. And the fans are excited about him. But now Max Aismas is available and Aismas really wanted to come to your program, but he's not coming because Caleb Love's going to play the same role that he would have played. Like you're kind of, you're screwed. You, you, you screwed yourself. And I guess that's why, I mean, you can't just wait thinking about it unless you have some sort of inside info, which I know a lot of these coaches, they do do their homework and they know that kids are going to be available. But if you don't know that an Aismas or somebody else of his ilk is going to come in the portal, like you've got to act now. You, 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 can't, you can't do what Kenny Payne did last season and pass on some guys early in the process and just think you're going to be able to get some players in the middle part. And then when you swing and miss on the biggest, your biggest targets, end up with nobody. You've got to get while you can, who you can while you can, especially if you have like four or five available roster spots, which is the position that Louisville's in right now. Um, but it is... It is an impossible task, and and I know that coaches are frustrated, and it's a understandable frustration. Texas says, "I heard uh, he had a card in his wallet with a shade. He wants his toast." I don't know what that means. Texas, speaking of social media guys, uh, speaking speaking of social media diving, are you hearing any rumblings of HVL leaving U of L? She's apparently removed all her U of L stuff from her IG and Twitter bios. I don't like hearing that. Uh, No, I've not heard that. I mean. Miami, don't do it. I just checked. Oh, she has re- she has removed her U of L stuff from from Twitter. I don't like that one bit. Dude would not like to see that. Um, it's great that 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 Jeff got Jada Carey today in the transfer portal, but she's a great running mate for Haley Van Lith. She is not a replacement for Haley Van Lith. So let's hope that that's that's not a thing that has real legs to it. I mean, she. She can get paid wherever she goes. I mean, she's got the Adidas deal. Like, I mean, I, I guess maybe like Miami would do the same thing that they pulled the Cavender twins last year. They can make her maybe more. I mean, she's going to be famous wherever she goes. I, I don't understand why she wouldn't wrap up her career here unless she's just been super unhappy for some reason that we haven't known about. Texas, I watch college basketball more than any other sport by a mile, but I can't force myself to get into the national title game. There's nothing compelling about either UConn or SDSU that would get me invested into the game. I mean, I... I'm always going to be excited about the national title game. I do think that there are compelling storylines here. I wrote about it a little bit today on SBNation.com. I mean, 
the storylines are different for the two teams. On one hand, you've got UConn, who is looking to cap one of the most dominant runs in NCAA tournament history. They've won every game by 13 points or more. They've won by an average of 20.6 points per game. Only five teams in history have won their first five games of the tournament by 13 points or more. Four of them went on to win the national title. Michigan State in 2000, Duke in 01, Carolina in 09, and Villanova in 2018. The only team to win its first five games by 13 points or more and lose in the final was actually North Carolina in 2016, the same building, NRG Stadium in Houston, where they they got beat on the last second shot by Chris Jenkins and Villanova. Um, I mean, UConn's also trying to be the, the second four, number four seed to ever cut down the nest. And that's the thing, this dominant run and people talking about UConn being a great team, all of the teams that we're comparing them to were, were number one seeds. UConn's a four seed. They didn't win their conference tournament. They didn't win their conference regular season. They've become just the fifth team ever to not have a conference title of one of one sort or the other to go on and win the NCAA championship. Um, I, I think it's interesting. And also, I mean, look, they still technically have a chance to break the 96 Kentucky team's record for the uh, the largest total margin of victory in the NCAA tournament. They've won their first five games by a combined 103 points. The record is 129 by that 96 Kentucky team. So if they win by 27 tonight, they'll break that Kentucky team's record. Uh, regardless, they're still going to wind up with one. of If they win by just double digits, they'll be one of the, the four most dominant runs to the NCAA tournament championship ever. Now, San Diego State, I think it's interesting. There's a lot of history on the line. A five seed's never won it. A team from the Mountain West has never won it. We haven't had a West Coast champion since Arizona in 1997. We haven't had a school from California win it since UCLA in 95. They'd be the first national champion that wasn't ranked in the final AP top 10 before the tournament since uh, UConn in 2014. They would also would be the first non-power conference team to win a national title since UNLV all the way back in 1990. I, I don't know if you qualify San Diego State as a mid-major or not. I don't want to get into that discussion, but they're certainly not a power conference program. They've been good, but they still would be a program. They've only won 11 NCAA tournament games ever, which means if they win tonight, they'll have 12 NCAA tournament wins in program history, and, and half of them will be in this three-week run. They'd be kind of that, that, that bizarro champion that wouldn't fit if you're reading down the list of champions, and I like that. I like that it's possible. Um, it also, I mean, it's not really a David versus Goliath thing, but UConn is very much a program that has been a, a David in the sport or a Goliath in the sport for the last couple of decades going for their fifth national title now. And this is San Diego State's first trip to a, a regional final this year. So I, I like the storylines. I like the battle inside storyline. Sonogo has dominated all tournament long, but San Diego State has big guys that I think can protect the rim. Nathan Mensah has been one of the best shot blockers uh, in, in college basketball all season long. Jaden Lede has been good coming off the bench for them. I think that will be an interesting battle. And then I, I, I also really like the hero of the game is typically a guard. And you've got really interesting backstories in, with all of these guards. Jordan Hawkins for UConn, he had the stomach bug, food poisoning that kept him uh, off the, the court all week long, gave a gutty effort against Miami on Saturday. Matt Bradley played so badly in their NCAA tournament loss last year to Creighton, San Diego State's NCAA tournament loss to Creighton. He took two months away from basketball, said it affected him so much mentally, started seeing a, a psychiatrist just to get back on the floor. And he'd been terrible in their first four NCAA tournament games before uh, having a big-time performance on Saturday night against uh, against FAU. Tristan Newton, criticized for being not a traditional point guard, 
had eight assists in in the uh, in the, their final four win. Lamont Butler, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, his his redemption arc after having that disastrous performance against Arkansas in the Maui Invitational, hitting the game-winning shot at the buzzer. Now, what if he's a star? Darian Trammell, the man started his college career at City College of San Francisco, went to Seattle University for two years, and now he's here he is at SDSU. He's been their most consistent offensive performer all tournament long. Andre Jackson is this weird 6'6 power forward who teams, you know, they don't respect his offensive ability. They play off him, and yet he's almost had a triple-double twice in this NCAA tournament. He could freak athlete. He could absolutely be a superstar tonight. I'm excited. I, I think that the, I think UConn is the better team. They were my pre-tournament pick. They certainly have done nothing to make me feel otherwise. I think if they get out ahead early by a wide margin and make San Diego State feel uncomfortable, it's going to be another, you know, UConn Miami game where they just you know, San Diego State stays within shouting distance. But UConn's never really in doubt, and I think that that's probably what happens. I think it'll be a little bit dicey. I think it'll be a close game at halftime. I think UConn will pull away early in the second half, maintain a like eight to fifteen point lead for the entirety of the second half, and then ultimately win by 10, 11, 12 points. I hope it's a closer game than that, just for the viewership, for everybody watching. Hopefully, it'll be an exciting game. But I think at the end of the day, UConn wins a fifth national title. Again, it's a weird program DNA. It's, it's weird to see a program that had never been to a Final Four before 99 and is now on the verge of winning five national championships uh, since then. But regardless, we got to get out of here. Enjoy the basketball tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow uh, at 3 o'clock. We'll talk about everything that happens and also maybe some more transfer portal updates. Have a great time tonight watching the game. We'll see you tomorrow at 3.